Hello and welcome to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to discuss our favorite genre of video games. I'm the one driving this bus. My name is Brian Vitale, and I've got a crowd of people here today. We have six people here, including myself, ready to talk over each other about a bunch of games that have come out recently or are coming out soon in some cases. And who? I don't know how to introduce this gaggle of people here. We've got Adam Vitale alongside. Hello. I've got James Galizio. Hey, folks. Uh, we've got George Foster. Hello, everyone. Josh Torres returns. What's our favorite genre of video game that we like to play? I don't mean to make assumptions, but I just, you know, I thought I felt like it was a safe bet. Maybe not. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> and finally, we've got Cullen Black joining us for the first time in several months. So welcome back, Cullen. A Bravely Second Enjoyer has logged on. Yep. Bravely Second, special I do guest. think, might be. Yes, he's our, he is our uh, special guest, specifically just for this. Resident Bravely Second Enthusiast is here on site. So we've got a whole bunch of games from Bravely Second to some Yakuza to Final Fantasy. A whole bunch of things to talk about when we are going ahead into the first section of this podcast. And I don't know who to pick or how to pick uh, what we're going to talk about first. Should we allow Cullen to go first or should we make let's him wait a bit? Bravely. I don't know. Let's, let's talk about Bravely. He, he, All he, right. he, he pitched it forth. Um, so, I, well, I wanted to talk because I've been playing a couple games. Uh, I'll save one of those games for Josh's section because I'm just giddy about that. Uh, but I wasn't here uh, last, uh, I think it was last week when you guys talked about uh, East 9. But love East 9. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago? Oh, I've lost track of time. I think it's both weeks. You're both correct. Okay, cool. Three weeks in a row. Let's let's do it. Uh, I won't talk about it long. Everything that is, needs to be said has been said. Love East 9. Going to play that on every system it becomes available on because that's probably going to replay it on PC. Like, yeah, I'm, I've, I really enjoyed my time with that. And I would like to, I'm, I'm really interested to see the PC version, what kind of enhancements it'll get. Like, if it gets like a, a big boost in draw distance on PC, that oh. would be cool for me. Maybe just like any amount of anti aliasing, that'd be cool. That'd be great. That'd be great. Uh, again, wonderful game. Uh, technical. Uh, aspects though, Falcom does not know how to optimize, and it's very apparent. Um, but it's really good. It's like it's one of those things where it's really good despite its problems. Like my review, a bunch of people were saying, like, "Yeah, but look, it looks like a PS3 game." It's like, "Yeah, but it's good though." Like, I don't even know what that means. Like when people say, "Oh, it looks like a PS2 game," I'm like, "Man, I fucking love the PS2." Hell yeah! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's like well, it clearly doesn't look like a PS3 game, but I get what you mean. But also, like, come on. But I like PS2 is fucking dope because you have so many of these like weird games that you just never see nowadays. Yeah, it, man. It, it's just it's a really good game. Uh, I'm m- so morbidly curious on how that Switch version is going to run. Like, if anything, since it got announced, I've been more excited to see how it'll run on Switch than playing the game itself. Right, because the, the this game never came, hasn't come to Switch yet. Like when it was initially released in Japan, that was like PS4 only. So this yeah, you and everything. So, so I think um, I'm pretty sure it's Engine Softworks who were doing the port for that because I think they did the port for uh, Cold Steel three and four as well. Did East Eight um, come to Switch? I forgot. Yes. Did okay. Um, it wasn't the best port, but it was all right. Yeah, it wasn't the best. It wasn't the worst, but it is still the best way to play that game portably. 
until mm, you say, I mean, oh, if you have a GPD one three, you could probably okay. No one has look a GPD one three. If you have a portable computer handy, then you can play it at ten hundred k gigaframes. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't mean here's, to bully. Uh, here's a, here's some <laughs> context here. Uh, so. Uh, Josh Torres has reviewed Yeast9 for our site. Colin did review Yeast9 for his personal channel on YouTube. And James imported the game, has played it a long time ago, and revisited it once the PS5 came out. And did so an import is... review for us. So, Oh, yeah, and also the import review. So a bunch of, a bunch of opinions on Yeast9. George, yes. you're just also playing through it. How far are you, yeah. George? I am on Chapter 7. Uh, oh, wow. I, I'm, I'm following you guys. Like This game is bloody ace. I, I'm yeah. not... I don't think I was enamored with it as you guys are, but I think that's because it's my first one. Like, it's definitely enough to make me want to go back and revisit. But that's exciting, though, that to hear that this is your first one. It's like, it, oh, yeah. like, you don't need to have, like, played all the other uses before to, like, like have fun with this game, and that's really exciting to hear from your perspective. Yeah, like, I, it's, I think it's one of the best action RPG combat systems I've played since, like, oh, Kingdom Hearts yeah. 2, in my opinion. Like, that, that is what drives me forward. I like all the characters, I like the world, but, like, the combat specifically, I, I just love it. There's a harder difficulty after. Like that is how much I'm liking it at the moment. I, I definitely recommend when you do go back and catch up, play nine again because you'll just love it more. Like it's it's one of those where it's like you don't need. The more all this you've stuff. played of the series, the more that nine is going to hit you with. The oh end. yeah, like <laughs> it hit me hard, but that's George, just because I'm a simp for adult. You're giving the poor <laughs> boy a so much homework. <laughs> <laughs> George was oh, come on. You can play East 1 in a weekend. Don't play East 1. It's Dude, good. Don't play East 1. I, I, I'll I get some conflicting one and two Chronicles. Don't play East 1 and 2. No, I'm definitely going to play 8. I'm definitely going to play 8. Do play 8. 8 is, eight is Kino. Eight, Conversely, eight, I think nine, you should play both East Chronicles 1 and East Book 1. Play I think you should play Memories of Salsetto. I was just going to say, I know I shouldn't play Memories of Salsetto. Stop playing the series. No, uh, George, I was mentioning earlier because you were talking about the movement, and then it just reminds me that um, Falcom, whenever they get an interview about the East series, they always say that the first thing they always do with the East title is like make sure the movement is fun. So like they're the very early builds of a new East title, whatever it is, it's always eight all and just moving around and like does this feel good? Well, th this is what it's not not worries me. I know that East eight doesn't have the same movement systems, but I can't imagine it feeling quite as good now you know like it, it feels so good in nine with all the abilities you get that i kind of the, think that it's different he said it's still like it, it's still fun to move around in east eight but that's because um Adol's movement feels like it's more versatile in horizontal environments at east eight so it's just a different level design yeah. philosophy unlike in um east nine where Outside the mushroom abilities and what you do, like if you're just actually just playing, like you know, just Adol himself without his mushroom powers, like it feels very unsatisfying until you start using the uh, movement abilities. Unlike in East Eight, like his jump feels so much better. Like moving around horizontally just feels like even more snappier than in East Nine. Oh, okay. East Nine is really good, just like you know, scaling down up and down really well. Yeah, there's like you have to when you're playing East Eight, you do have to like be like, okay, this was a Vita game. But having said that, it's a goddamn good Vita game. <laughs> when like, is like, East Ten? Uh, who knows? Soon. Hopefully soon, though. I kind of want to get um, want us to get a good version of East Five first. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love uh, if maybe maybe Kuro is East Ten. 
Yep. <laughs> I mean, he the Adol has blue hair now, so you never know, man. Um, but yeah, the, the East Five is what's the best way to play East Five these days? There's only one version. It's the shitty SNES version. Okay, There's I was, a PS2 version, and that's shitty too, apparently. Okay, the PS2 version <laughs> is better. So it's, it's po- probably the best version is the PS2 version. And that was the only one I haven't played. And it's like uh, Konami. Konami brought that over, I think. No, no, no. Yeah, it never got brought over. It wasn't Konami that did that one. Konami Konami did uh, six for the PS2. Oh, right. That was six. George, look what you've gotten yourself into. Yeah, I'm so sorry, guys. It's it's 35 years. Like, can you imagine, George? This series has been around for 35 years. I'm, I'm definitely on the train. For whatever's next now, uh, eight eight next for me. But I don't know how far back I'll go. It's the same sort of argument I had with Yakuza. It's like I really want to go back and play all these games, but there are just too many. Games. There are too yeah. many. Games. In terms of in terms of availability, yeah, you, you should be able to get, play East Origin. That'll give you like you can play that on a PS4 or Switch, right? Play it on Switch, and actually, I'd say the Switch is the best console port. And it kind of gives you a taste of the other ones. Like the, a lot of the other games are like most easily accessible on PC, even if they're not like. I know I you don't really the game on PC. Probably like that. To be fair, like e- like you can play pretty much all of the PC ones on any PC. Like you, even you can even get like wine set up on like a Chromebook, and you'd be able to play it fine. Because I played my first playthrough of Origin on wine so. Okay. Yeah, my, my advice is don't like feel pressured or rush yourself through them. Just like if you ever feel oh, yeah. like, like an action RPG, it's like, hey, let's go try out this one. And I, I'd recommend, like they were saying earlier, is try, uh, like, you know, after you're, you go to East 8 or you beat that or you fall off of it or whatever, try, try to play what, like uh, East titles that all have like differences. It's like, like um, East Origin is def- very different in how it plays compared to like East 1, where like East 1 and 2 are like, like if you can imagine, it's like a, overhead view and then you just bump into enemies you just put oh, your character model into enemies and like, i was gonna say George, have you heard of the bump combat the bump combat is great man i uh, have such fun memories of bump. are there any <laughs> like what other series have been going on for long enough that you can kind of like group together games into like different eras like the bump fantasy I guess Final a lot Fantasy. of series, huh? But I was actually thinking uh, Fire Emblem. Like, there's like pre pre genealogy, the Holy War Fire Emblem, and then there's like that through Radiant Dawn, and then there's like Awakening on. Like, you can like kind of group them together into like just because you enjoyed the most recent entry, you gotta have to know some things. If you depending on how far back you want to like drill into older games in the series, if you want yeah. rock solid, solid, consistent gameplay systems, Dragon Quest. They will never yes. <laughs> move on. Yes. 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 Oh, I was gonna Dragon say, speaking... Here. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say, speaking of Final Fantasy, I've been playing Bravely Default 2. Yeah, isn't, oh, isn't that the reason we went to you in the first place? Yeah. George had to keep us talking about East 9. Uh, so, you know me. So uh, Bravely Default 2 obviously is releasing later this month on the 26th, but Colin has had some early access with the game, and he's sharing with yes. us his initial feelings and thoughts and opinions and anything else it's good um, there we go question <laughs> mark yeah so here's the thing i've played 30 hours of it i'm very limited of what i can actually talk about um i wrote a very broad synopsis of it in my preview there are definitely things i'm enjoying a lot uh i like the characters 
Uh, I love the localization. The voice acting is stellar. Um, it's some of the game balancing choices are very weird. This, I, I'm really, I'm talking around like stuff, and I'm sorry if that'll make this whole segment feel very strange. Disjointed. Um, disjointed. Yeah. Um, asterisk bosses are brutally difficult, and I'm not sure if they just didn't playtest them. That bad, huh? Wow. That, that's, like, I've actually heard that from uh, 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 from CD, who had, who's reviewing this game on his own website. Alex Seedhouse from Nintendo Insider. Yeah, yeah. Alex, um, uh, CD and I have been talking about it. Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 30 hours in, and CD was messaging like, oh, I'm almost done with chapter one. I'm like, oh boy. Uh, I think the difficulty gets a lot more manageable as the game goes on, and I don't know if that's because the balancing is fixed or if I've just found out how to bro- break the game. I, I, have uh, like one, I have one question just to kind of set the table. Have you uh, yeah. played the other two games, Bravely Default and Bravely Second, or have you not? Okay, so I don't like Bravely Default. <laughs> okay. Because I don't like the characters, but I love Bravely Second, so I'm a weird outlier. Um, so I, and one of the things that's been very worrying for me is in a lot of the marketing, like a lot of the interviews, they've been saying like, "Oh yeah, Bravely Second sucks. We're sorry for making that. We're gonna make this one like different." I'm like, but I like that one. I don't think Bravely Seconds is necessarily a bad game, too. I think I think the gameplay in, in Bravely Seconds is way more fun than Bravely Default. Oh like yeah. The, the, only, the only problem I have in uh, Bravely Second was like you just it, it just kind of reads too much of the same like assets and areas and like the same flow as the first one. It's like when I when I want a, a sequel or a follow up, I want it to like be like you're doing brand new or visiting brand new stuff and Bravely Seconds yeah. just too much of a retread. But I, I like you know I really like the classes in Bravely Second and I like the like characters in it. Oh yeah, like I, I think the thing was Bravely Second was a big failure in Japan and no mm-hmm. one liked it for some reason. So they're kind of Yeah, it was trying such a... to appease older fans. And I think by saying that they're hoping that like some like the hardcores fans are gonna be like, oh wow. So it's not like that bad one I don't like, but it's like but for Bravely Second fans, you're kind of alienating them. But I guess, you know. Well, so I'm an to them, I'm, I'm going to say this about Bravely Second Situation is that um, they did some really funky stuff like immediately after the Japanese release with the Western release. I'm not oh, talking yeah, about like censorship shit, but it used to be in the Japanese version of Bravely Second that some of the side quests that you did on the first half of the game would end in a way that wasn't a happy ending. And then the second half, they would end in a good way. Whereas in the Western version, they just cut out the first conclusion to the side quest. So you basically just did the same, like you had the same conclusion both times. So uh, it, I think though that's that was supposed to like save time. I read someone say that that like I, I read from someone's like that's actually like a good thing they did, but I'm not. Yeah, I think people of, they just I think people had like a had like a a reaction when they heard that they were changing something. Like, oh no, this is censorship, and it's like actually this is like. This was feedback from what they were saying, from what they yeah. got from Japanese players. Yeah, but how they had to do that twice. Like... So they kind of just put a bandaid on it and like, actually, we'll make it so you only have to do them once. 
yeah, I don't think that was the perfect way of handling it, considering it like thematically it didn't fit. But yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 not, with, uh, I'm with um James here because uh, like I I can understand from a localization standpoint why you would do that to like kind of you know save cost, save time. Like it might even give like the the consumer like a better enjoyment out of it but it's kind of betraying what the developers put forth in the first place too That's which is point. kind of weird and and also like aside from that too just the localization of bravely second had like some weird stuff like obviously you know replacing the native american class with um the cowboy or cowgirl i forgot it's like it had like weird weird issues around localization as well that that was very glaring and like i for a lot of people, forgot about was, that I'm not, but yeah. now that you mentioned it, I'm like, oh, I never forgot about that. Like, I just, I just, I haven't thought about that in years. But as an mm-hmm. outsider to this series, like, so I am totally planning on playing Bravely Default 2. Um, I have not played the first two games, but I, like, the one sentence, like, summary that seems to be, like, the consensus is that Bravely Default's first half is good, its second half is bad, and Bravely's second is bad. And I know Colin just said that not everyone thinks that, but, uh, that just seems to be like the conventional wisdom. Like, hopefully, I guess, hopefully, Bravely Default Two is like the first half of the first game. Um, I suppose. So I am. It's very difficult to talk about this because I know why the you know people say it's bad. Um, I'm. We can we can more, learn more like like you know and like when it's actually out out, but just yeah. just for just first impressions when you first went into it. Like, tell tell us about that. Like, just oh, no, I just wanted to say like this is this is not spoilers at all this is just a fear i have of the game and i've i've re- i've been like stressing out about this as i play cuz in my opinion i think the worst thing bravely default 2 can be is safe yeah and it bravely games are known for late game crazy wacky twists and I'm a little worried that it might not go in that direction and that's that sounds so weird like oh i want like crazy wacky nonsense but it's just it's fun like it's just you know i play these games for a fun time uh so i'm a little i'm wondering and i say this in my preview even i don't know where it's going Hmm. like i have no idea where this game is going and how it sticks the landing is going to decide how much i enjoy it yeah because um and i'll definitely i'll get into like oh impressions experiences but that's like that's really the main thing uh i'm i'm enjoying the game a lot it's very slow to get going uh it's very much a take your time kind of game uh, so I do- let me see if i'm am, i'm i got the the right uh read on this so it's like you're enjoying the journey you just hope it actually leads somewhere yes uh i'm quite enjoying the journey despite some very weird game design choices here and there. Um, side quests are a very big thing that they've introduced because side quests in Bravely games, uh, I always liked them because they're very focused. It is okay. This side quest will get you a new job, and they'll have little mini adventures for you to go on. Um, and in second, they make it even cooler where you pick the jobs you get. Like the side quest will end in a certain way, and you'll get a different job from that. And I love that. Hmm. Um, so Bravely Default 2 takes a more um, modern game design approach to it where they're just legit side quests like people ask you to go do stuff or kill monsters and 
Um, some of them will end in jobs, but very rarely do they do that. Um, like I say in my preview, though, while the side quests are mostly like a mixed bag, there's a lot of like, oh, hey, I need you to go talk to my brother on the other side of town. And then you talk to the brother and it's like, okay, can you go talk to my brother and tell him thank you? And you go back to the brother and you're going back and forth for like 20 minutes. And mm. sometimes instead of a town, it's like, go walk to that dungeon back and forth. Or it's is like it, gathering quests. Is there like any like sort of fast travel when it's like in between cities? Uh, okay, so there is fast travel between cities, but it's in like a wagon at the beginning of the city. I wish that God, Dragon Quest has really spoiled me. <laughs> I I I wish I could just hit the, like I could just cast Zoom and then just go to a city immediately. Oh. God, I wish. I, I love Dragon Quest. <laughs> so so uh, one thing that Collins brought up that I want to make sure I give the proper shout out is that he did publish a preview for Bravely Default 2. Um, and, he, and he organized it like a listicle. It's uh, Bravely Default 2, five things I love and two things I'm unsure about. Uh, so a lot of these you've already touched on here in the podcast, uh, the combat, the exploration. And you've also talked a little bit about like the quests and the localization, especially. Oh, yeah. One thing that one thing that we've avoided that I've seen a lot of people talk about is how do you how do you feel about how the game looks? Because some people make it well known or, or really oh, know yeah. that they are not vibing with the art style here. Okay, so it is when I say it's a mixed bag, I don't mean I think it in a negative way. I think the main like the um the the 2D cities are gorgeous. They're just as amazing as they ever were, if not even better. The dungeons are beautiful. The world map is so cool. It's the character models that a lot of people have an issue with. Mm -hmm. um, I will say, though, the monster designs are like crazy good. But it's just people the game seems to have a problem with. The main cast looks good. A lot of the side characters don't. Personally... I never hated it enough to have an issue with it. Um, but I definitely get where people are coming from. I uh, I like it, but I, I know that like it could be better, and I think the other are, um, aesthetic from the DS games looks better. I think there were also, like, it's one of those games the, where it looks underwhelming at some points when you take a screenshot, but in motion it looks... Oh, yeah. I I think I was about it look it does look better in motion from what I've seen like some of the effects that they have um they they definitely took a lot of um their experience I'm pretty sure it's the same team I know this is uh, Playtech works but it definitely seems like someone who worked on Octopath brought over some of their knowledge of like visual effects I'm not sure about that so just oh. let's just set this straight here the Bravely Default and Bravely Second were developed by Silicon Studio, and they no longer make games. They now do like engine software, oh, wow. graphic stuff. Um, this game is being developed by Claytech Works, who previously did like the Bravely Default Fairies Effect mobile game that was Japanese only. Interesting. So, so it's actually, a mobile game it, developer. Was it actually only just Japanese? I think they, they actually localized it, but it shut oh, down. I totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then. Octopath was made by Acquire. Now mm. the Square Enix like production side of that like team is the same. It's Asano, I think. Like he like they do a lot of like this third party like 
you know, we'll set up and development and say that um, I was talking with Colin last night and we found out that one of the writers on Octopath is a writer on Bravely Default too. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I imagine that there are some carryover, like some Silicon Studio people or maybe some Square Enix people did work on both, but I'd be surprised if it was like, like the, the, the meat of the team is probably mostly. Yeah. No, that's fair. I'm just, I'm like, it seems like it is t- at least taking inspiration from the cool visual yeah. effects going on. There's a lot of like, I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Like maybe well, like a bit of depth of field going on in a lot of well, the just dungeons. Because, uh, just because a person or specific talent didn't transfer, that doesn't mean like the knowledge or the know-how or the, you know, other yeah. things were, were not handed over. My personal opinion on how this game looks is that even though I do think it looks quite a bit different from what I'm used to or expecting, I kind of like find that maybe this is like, I don't know, almost hipster, but <laughs> I, I kind of like, you know what, let, let the game be different. I don't like, I'm glad it kind of stands oh, yeah. out and they're trying something that not another game looks like, like there are so many art styles this game could have picked to play it like very safe. And then you wouldn't even like remark on it. It's like, Oh, of course it looks like that. It's a JRPG from Square Enix or, or whatever. So like, I don't know if I'm sold, but I am like, I do appreciate that. It's like, you know what we're, you know, clay tech works. It's in our name. We're going to have this almost like stop motion style art, to it even though I'll, I'll and that's what i like about it yeah it's like it, it definitely there you do get like this clay aesthetic going on from a lot of the different monster designs and even the world and i think it does give it this very unique charm and i think i i have no proof for this um this is just going off what i like i think uh it feels like they've updated the lighting engine a little bit since um the final demo and the other demo as well and it looks better like a lot of the cutscenes with the characters like you know the just standard like oh all the characters here in the text box it looks a bit better on the eyes i have no proof of this i'm sure if you compared them it's like there's no change at all colin and it's like all right well i was wrong but it looks like they've improved it since then uh i'm i'm hoping that i like where it's going uh, I'm enjoying the uh, like l- the job system's so good. Like you, you can't really mess up the job system. Is there a if bad the job, game with a job like, system? I don't know because it's really just like you put the job system in there, and at the very worst, you're gonna have a fun time. There were also cha- uh, changes like the flow of combat, so it's not like round based anymore. It's actually oh like, yeah, it's HP, which is interesting. Um, I, the weird thing about the, like, uh, combat is a lot of my grievances with how things have been playing out, I've gotten either used to, or they've improved as I've played the game. So I'm not entirely sure that writing this review is going to be weird. I don't know. Cause I, that's, I don't know. <laughs> Why what is your... changing? Maybe you need a, maybe you need a simple question answer. Uh, what is your favorite job so far? If you're allowed to tell us, um, I'm trying to think. Like this is an easy think, one. You know, I don't I don't think my my embargo is like saying you're not allowed to talk about the jobs. You're They've just, been talking about showing off jobs too, uh, like in the marketing of this game. Yeah, I think I think that. He's looking over to embargo, I think. Well, that, and I'm also seeing if they revealed the job already. Okay, so I love Dragoon. Okay. Uh, I'm a big Dragoon fan. Dragoons are um, cool. I'll, always have been. Love that feeling of falling right on my face. Um, but I have to say, 
like monk is probably one of the most busted jobs in the game oh hell yeah i I love a good monk job and it's like the first job you get okay all right very early and like i think i'm allowed to talk about that because it's like it's in the demos like Mm -hmm. the monk class and it's just oh boy that can take you far that's exciting were you gonna say something I have kind of a nerdy question. So, how are the dungeons? Are there like dungeons in this game? Okay. The reason why I ask is because, like, both Bravely and Octopath have this sort of like dungeon design where it's just sort of like a tunnel and you like go through the tunnel and there's like maybe some like Branches. dead end paths that lead to treasure chests and that's kind of like it. Um, <laughs> like, so that's their dungeon design. <laughs> just you go through like are, these tunnels. There are the tunnels still, but I think there have been a lot more of like big open areas. I like the dungeons. I'm a little worried that they might overstay their welcome a bit too much. Um, and I think that's fine. Let's literally, yeah, I, I can talk about that. That's the thing. I'm like, what can I talk about? <laughs> My embargo details are very vague, but it's saying like, it's basically saying don't talk about anything after chapter two. And I can definitely say the dungeons there sometimes they go on a bit too long okay. uh, and i like them but this is definitely one of those games if you go to jrpgs for like kind of more of a mix of like story and combat or like you prefer the story heavy jrpgs there's a lot of fighting in this game you'll be having yeah. battles a lot this it's is very it's, it's no longer random encounters, so you don't have like a, a slider for random encounters. You actually see like the enemy model out in the overworld, and you can like yeah. Hit it. And they can like if you. One thing I really love though is if you get too strong for an area, enemies will run away from you. So it's a good uh, like sign of your progress, and you can be like, all right, cool, I'm probably ready for the boss now. And then you're not ready for the boss because the boss. <laughs> That's that sounds like a very Final Fantasy three problem because I remember when I was going through Final Fantasy three two weeks ago, <laughs> um, I would get to the point where enemies and dungeons were running running away from me, but I was still getting my ass handed to me by the boss. It's uh, I'm I'm very interested to see what public opinion is on this when it's out, uh, and at the same time, I'm very happy that I get to play it in my own little bubble. <laughs> without anyone else's opinions kind of infecting mine because i think out of like uh yeah like me and cd and like anyone else playing i'm pretty far i'm i don't know if i'd say i'm the farthest it's impossible to tell but i'm i'm a decent way in and i'll probably finish it in a couple days if i keep at my current pace honestly as soon as i'm done with the podcast i'm just gonna go play more how late did you stay Uh, last night playing this uh 6 a.m very good so uh, all right. Uh, this at noon for what it's, or I guess for you it might depend, but a few hours later. Yeah, I woke up uh, three hours ago. So, a final okay. question for, for me uh, on this uh, wonderful Bravely Default 2 section. Uh, Revo is back as the music composer, yay or nay so far? Yay. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I actually I, I kind of prefer her. Like, I like Revo stuff and Bravely Default. I think it's very good. Final boss track in particular, Bangs. I've, I, I, I've always preferred the second soundtrack. <laughs> Mm, that is the real hot take here yeah i know again i want like that's why i said i don't dislike bravely default music i just i like rio and i especially the bravely second uh like opening theme i think that's really good this is really good music uh i 
there, I think, surprisingly enough, I think where the soundtrack excels is a lot of the quieter music, like quieter moments, or like the sad stuff. The main boss theme is good. I, I just not really clicking with me as much. Um, it's overall good. I hope it continues to get better. So it sounds like you're generally pretty positive on this game with just a few caveats about the balance and maybe about a lot of things that you can't really judge until you see if there's a payoff in terms of the narrative. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's that's why I said it's good. Good question, like, Mark. I, I don't think it'll, I, I'm not sure it'll be game of the year um, or like anything like that, but I'm enjoying it and it's made me want to actually play Final Fantasy V. Speaking Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking mm-hmm. of Final Fantasy V, Good segue Final again. Fantasy V is a 10 out of 10 JRPG. Oh, wow. Hell yeah. That's a, it's that's very a good. <laughs> For anyone who so, uh, needs a little, a little context, sorry, just uh, James, who I feel like we're transitioning to right now, has been in the middle of a marathon playing through all of the Final Fantasy games in order, and I guess he's gotten on to Final Fantasy V. There, I just yep, that segue the was a splinter stuck in inside the conversation. Oh yeah, this is why we this is why we bring you on because we're no we're we're no good at this normally. I'm not yeah. good at it either. Don't worry. Yeah, so um, I've been generally enjoying what I've been playing in, with my Final Fantasy marathon, but none of the games have really stuck with me. I'd say, like, I enjoyed four, but like looking back on it, it's a very messy game. <laughs> In retrospect, um, especially like the story itself, it's like, hey, that that it's like engaging in the moment. But then you look back on it, it's like, wow, that series of events doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Uh, Final Fantasy V is pretty much better than Final Fantasy IV in every way. Oh, boy. Uh, the story is okay. better. I agree. I don't, I don't think I don't think that's a common opinion, but I do agree. I agree. Okay. okay. Yeah, I think the story's better. I think the character interactions are much better. I I feel like the way that the um no, I know that the way that the character interactions are done and the way that the story evolves a bit a lot more naturally in Final Fantasy V is really good game design. And I love how they utilize like many of the game's systems to really push the story forward. You had a bit of that in Final Fantasy IV with the whole like Dark Knight and the Paladin thing that everyone talks about. But that like that's like the one major time it's really utilized you have cutscenes where you see like the battle system through the point of view of like npcs which is interesting enough in, in four but there's moments in five that really take advantage of the battle system both in a mechanical level like the atom the atomos or atomos uh, boss fight and the way that deals with the row system and then Okay, so just to make things clear, and Adam will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say this, I got to the third world. Mm-hmm. So you probably know what I'm talking about when I say the way that they utilize the game systems to tell the story is just amazing. It's one thing I really like is that the pacing is fantastic. And it never really feels like you're being forced to stay in one in any one area longer than necessary. And it feels like the game always has something new to throw at you. Like when you're going for the fire crystal and you um, have to escape the castle in a time limit that's 
actually 10 minutes and it like keeps going yep. on in battles. So you see the time limit in the battles. So you're always having to worry, okay, so I want to loot this castle before it blows up, but I need to be very careful because I do have a legitimate time limit and it's always going on, even in menus. Um, I love the way that the job system works in Final Fantasy V because of the way that you unlock abilities the more that you level up each job. And you can, for every job, you can add one extra ability and it gives you a lot of flexibility to make builds that are very easy to break the game over your knee, but it feels really fun to do so because it gives you a lot of freedom in how you make your party, even if you want to go with mostly magic-like users or mostly physical attackers and stuff like that. There's... Some people do like take that balance argument as like an argument why the game isn't very good, but I kind of just disagree. It's so fun, it, whenever you have, I think almost inevitably, when you have a system as flexible and as freeform as Final Fantasy V is that allows you to like do so much with it, especially considering the time it was released, you're inevitably going to get some com uh, combinations that are just like legitimately overpowered. But it's fun to find those. That that reminds me, uh, when we're done with the podcast, no matter when I pop out, uh, I need to go tell you guys how I've been destroying the difficulty of Bravely Default 2 in relation to the job system. Because like like you said, you can combine jobs that just all right, you win. <laughs> well, I yeah. think it's okay to talk about these two games kind of like in parallel like this because they have that, you know, that very core component in common. So it's still, it's still the one thing I want to stress about Final Fantasy V is the character interactions. Like I wasn't expecting this this much, but there's a bunch of different like optional character interactions where if you go to like, if you do specific things in a world that you could totally miss, you might have little cutscenes. Like, if you go to um, Bart's hometown and you stay the night there, you'll have a little scene where he's talk where he goes to his parents' graves, and you you even see a bit of like a character interaction between him and Fair. I believe it's Ferris. Yeah, Ferris. Yeah. And then later on, you have stuff like um, if you stay at an inn. At uh, I think it's Clay Lab, uh, at Quelb or something. I'll be Some honest place. and say I don't really remember all the towns. <laughs> yeah, well, if you stay at a specific end, you have like this one little cutscene with um, Galoof and Bart's, and it's really just it, they're so they're such small scenes. But the fact that they're completely optional and you can miss them and they don't overstay their welcome, but they're they really sell the like the feeling of it being a party. And I guess one of the reasons that works so well for five is that you, for the whole game, most of the game, you have basically the same party. Whereas in four, like it was a very final fantasy two type deal where you're constantly swapping out party members. So you never really get too much of attachment to any one of them. So James, but, it sounds like you're saying you like butts. Uh, no, he's saying Bart's dude. I was about to ask him earlier if he was a butts or Bart's fan. Yeah. <laughs> but do you like butts? You don't what? have to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking if you, if what, you like what butts. What version of the game are you playing, James? That. I'm playing Final. I'm playing Final Fantasy V Advance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good version of that. Um, uh, the localization is very good for it. There are a few moments where I feel like it gets a little punched up, a bit too much, maybe. 
Um, but the vast majority of the time, the localization is just fantastic. I, I think it's a testament to F FF5's design that even today, like you know, even today, people still run that uh, like uh, Fiesta Job Fiesta Festival event for just specifically for that game, just randomizing the jobs that they get and seeing you know how they can play the game with. Oh yeah. Now yeah, that I've actually played it, I can totally see why it has such a large speedrunning community because it's very replayable. Like, there's so many different jobs, and you get them all. You basically get all of them so early on that you have a lot of freedom for how you want to play the rest of the game. And I'm, I haven't even talked about the stuff like the Blue Mage, where you can get a bunch of different yeah. like spells by literally like going around the world and finding monsters that that do them. And it's like basically a side quest in and of itself as a job. And, and that's how you see it, like uh, like even parallels, like you know, like uh, FF14 like adopted that into their system. It's like, oh yeah, well, Blue Mage shows that. up in a lot of the games now. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's FF5 just an overall just one of one of the biggest highlights of Final Fantasy games overall. I, I feel like the story is like really good. It's 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 not it's the hugest focused. It's goofy, but it's funny because as grimdark as Final Fantasy IV tries to be and like edgy, like so many of the deaths turn out to be like just fake outs. And in Final Fantasy V, the people that do sacrifice themselves and die, they stay dead. Yep. So, like, even though Final Fantasy V is a goofier game, it feels a lot more mature, if that makes sense. Some real mm. stuff. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I do think I do think Final Fantasy IV is a little silly. How you, it's there's like a there's like a whole se sequence of fake out deaths. Yeah, there's like, like it one, over relies there's on one, them, and then <laughs> there's one. The one that really got me is like, I guess this is technically a spoiler. Colin, have you played Final Fantasy IV? Uh, yes. Okay. Think... When when Sid blows himself up to seal the underground, then you find out. Okay, I I was actually fine all along. Oh yeah, that's like, dumb. Yeah. <laughs> that's just. Or the thing with Yang doing bad. the same thing. It's like, oh, I was fine. And then no, the whole it, thing with um the twins, like where they turn themselves into <laughs> stone statues, and if you even go and try and like unstone them it says it had no effect because they turned themselves to stone of their own will but later on it said oh we got we got cured by the elder it's like but i got better <laughs> <laughs> you know you know a game that has like a lot of fake out things in its fourth entry <laughs> y yakuza uh, oh i thought you were gonna say cold steel 4 <laughs> it's both <laughs> yeah it's, it's both especially is this a um is this a transition well, I don't want to obviously cut you short, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 so yes, I, I will be talking about Yakuza next because I've been making my way through Yakuza Four. Uh, but I don't like I said. Let's let's make sure we you know cover what we want to on Final Fantasy V. I wanted to make a comment, and I'm going to throw another Final Fantasy game under the bus. But we were talking about like how the systems in Final Fantasy V and Bravely Default Two, how they're combat focused, they're open ended. You can make a lot of choices about like, do I want to play mages? Do I want to play dragoons or whatever? And it's stuff like this that I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. And that's why I really didn't care for Final Fantasy 13. I feel like that's a little a bit out of left field to just take a chance to dunk on that. But that's exactly what that game doesn't have. You make like no meaningful choices. You use whatever party they give you with the abilities that those characters have. And you can, it can be a lot more balanced because the developers and designers know exactly what you have access to. 
uh, like for any given boss fight, like, oh, this, th you have access to Saboteur at this point and you have access to these characters. So let's design the boss around that. So you don't run into the balance wonkiness, but I just find it a lot less fun to be like, yeah, that's the right. big uh, downfall of FF13. It's like it only really opens up like 40 to 50 hours in after you get like all your party members to have the freedom to actually make your own decisions. It's like, it, it's a system that like it's really cool when you have full control over it, but they don't hand you that control till. Very I'm very hard. curious how I'm going to feel about the later Final Fantasy games because of how contentious a lot of them are. Uh, but the one last thing I want to say about Final Fantasy V is that I definitely have a lot more of an appreciation for it after playing Final Fantasy III because I'm sorry. I'm sure even if I had played the NES version with the fan translation, I wouldn't have liked it as much as the first two. I feel like it, it's the first one with the job system, so I know it should get some respect for that. But the way the job system works in Final Fantasy III, it's just... It's an illusion of control because there's so many bosses where it's like you need to use basically a party of just X job where you are going to have a bad time. Can you can you see why can you see now why I think most people in the West probably played five before three because five came out on GBA. Yeah. Uh, let me let me look up the dates like in 2004 or something like that. Um, and then in Final Fantasy three on DS came out later. Well, it's kind of yeah. like these One weird second. tiers because, like, obviously, four and six were the first ones localized, like in the original right. run, and so therefore, out of those, out of that, like, family, that tier or grouping of games, I feel like those two are generally more known and beloved. And in retrospect, just... yeah, and in retrospect, I can see why they they skipped over five originally back in the day because it's a very like mechanically complex game that if you hadn't played three, it might have been confusing to you because it's like, what the hell is a job system? And it's like so much going on at once and, and plus i'm the sure only, the they had to that... sorry go ahead and plus i'm sure that um by the time they were done with the final fantasy 4 localization they already knew that the that six was going to be more like four or something like that and then you um like the only people once these other it feels like so long ago now but there was a point where like we had to wait for these localizations and then dedicated series fans had to like work their way backwards to be like, Oh, now we finally get the chance to play five. Oh, now we finally get the chance to play three. Uh, so you've, you've already lost like a good percentage of like the more casual uh, RPG player. And then like how far back you go, like, uh, do I want to play a game as old as final fantasy three and two? Uh, so it's just like, the, it's like these stair steps where the number of people I can... that played final fantasy two and three is like probably a very, very small actually... percentage. So I looked up the release dates, and I actually did not realize this. Talking about North American dates, I'm going by Wikipedia here. Final Fantasy V Advance released November 6, 2006. Final Fantasy III DS released November 14, 2006. What the mm. fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> That's... Yeah. <laughs> the GBA was weird, because like when the DS came out, it was like a third pillar, right? And yeah, the, the, that's what they, Nintendo that's what was they calling said. it. Like the G yeah, so the GBA couldn't continue for a while. Meme. Of like, remember what they took from you of just imagining an actual remake for Final Fantasy V that we could have gotten on DS. I feel like, man, I'm even more mad that Final Fantasy V didn't get a PSP remaster like uh, Four did because it just—it's so good. I can understand why some people that maybe go back and play it today aren't as huge fans of it because I can tell that if you're if all of the Final Fantasy games you've played have been basically built off of the final fantasy 4 formula and the games since then like six seven eight nine etc i can see how five would be very different and just because you're a fan of the later final fantasy games doesn't necessarily mean that you'll gel you'll gel with five but um 
and I kind of said this in like like off the cuff uh, last night with Colin, but I'm not sure how you um, how you feel about this, uh, Adam. I feel like one of the reasons why I love Final Fantasy V is that it feels like it's the Final Fantasy that is most like a Dragon Quest mm, in terms right. of tone. Oh my God! Yeah, you're right. I will love this. It game. is true. But, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, at a base level, that there is some truth to that. I think. I I really feel like people should have just said that to sell me on this game because I've been ignoring Five for ages. When I played the, again, I know very bad mobile version, and I was just kind of like, eh, the job system. Well, ironically enough, now that I've played through a good chunk of Five, I feel like out of like the mobile versions of the Final Fantasy games, I feel like the sprite smoothing for the main characters works a bit better for final fantasy 5 because it's a more colorful game <laughs> oh yeah i still just wish it looked like the complete collection that is the pinnacle yeah. of that style yeah and i think we talked about this last uh week but it's so weird how th- that style got like dunked on when it first released as being too clean or too smooth and then like the mobile versions came up like actually it was fine fuck no go back <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty much turn the knob back but yeah final fantasy 5 is very good um I, which I didn't expect to like it this much because I was expecting like I was going to love six because everyone says six is a masterpiece and I'm sure like it this. is, but, but five, it's like, damn, this man, this, this might actually end up being my favorite final fantasy. James, have you played Chrono Trigger? Yes. Okay, cool. I was going to say, make sure to hit that on your, your way up just because it feels kind of comfy in that like square uh, SNES RPGs. You're not allowed to be here if you haven't played Chrono Trigger, just FYI. Yeah, hey, George. Yeah, sorry, guys. I'll leave. <laughs> George, play Chrono Trigger. I've got too many games, guys. I've got, like, all of you. You've already dumped the whole East <laughs> on uh, list on him. Not yet. Oh, yeah. oh, I have not dumped the whole East list on him. I dumped one game on him. <laughs> East is a little inconsistent. Let's go play Chrono Cross together, pal. I'm playing <laughs> it right now, and uh, it's a game. <laughs> Chrono Cross is such a weird game. We should we should have a Tetracast where all of us play through the Romancing Saga uh, remasters slash remakes, yeah. and then just have like a uh, podcast about them. No, uh, the, the even yeah. better, just have just have a uh, like a group like uh, book club on that, but only for Unlimited Saga. That's it. Uh, well, we're going to have to find someone to help teach us how to play that game. No, we're just going to have to go <laughs> figure it out on our own. It'd be like a, the, the 100th pod episode later. It's like, I think this is how this works in the limited saga. So, Yakuza? Yakuza. 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 All right. So I feel a little bit out of place since we've been talking about like these classic or classically styled JRPGs. And here I am jumping in with Yakuza. Uh, but... I guess that's what we get for kind of casting a wide net at this website. So I've uh, two weeks ago, I talked about finishing up Yakuza 3. I took a break last week. And then this week, I'm about maybe just under halfway through Yakuza 4. So I f- it feels weird that I can kind of see like the light at the end of the tunnel. Like uh, Just like a year ago, I'd only played like 0, 1, and 2. And now I played Like a Dragon. And now I have the opportunity to play the rest. So it feels like I wonder if this is what James is going to feel when he's at like Final Fantasy 13 or whatever, and he can see like the the finish lines in sight. Uh, so Yakuza 4, obviously this game is pretty different from the other games because it opens up with you controlling characters that are not Kiryu Kazuma or Goro Majima. Uh, 
you start out playing a character named Shun Akiyama, and I, I have no idea like what his general, what, what, what the consensus opinion on him is. Everyone loves Akiyama. I love no. Akiyama. Uh, well, uh, I mean, she, uh, Brian oh. is not very, a big fan of Akiyama at all. Oh. I, I was not jiving oh, with him at ever. all. Oh, uh-huh. like, and I had an open <laughs> mind. I thought because I loved Ichiban, and I was like, all right, you know, the series doesn't have to revolve around one character, and obviously it hasn't. Of course, I'm kind of playing them out of order, so it's a bit weird. Uh, but Akiyama, like, I just don't. His the general, uh, like, his character is basically someone who was destitute and homeless and then day traded his way into billions and then he uses his money to run basically a loan shark operation but it's with the heart of gold he does it to help people who like he wants to see money change their lives and i just feel like i don't i'm not compelled by that just to be like he's a very unrealistic character to be fair yes and then i like his personality more than i like his gameplay style i love it also helps that he's i'm pretty sure voiced by like spike fucking spiegel (laughs) <laughs> and that charm just kind of oozes through. <laughs> uh, I will say that Yakuza 4, it feels like a pretty big jump up from Yakuza 3. Going from Maybe that's just me acclimating, but going from Kiwami 2 slash 7 to 3, I talked about how that was a bit like rough, and I, I expected it to be, and eventually I got used to it. Before, it feels like, man, this game still looks pretty nice. I don't know if it's just because I'm cranking up the resolution on PC or whatever, but it doesn't feel quite as dated as 3, just visually, so... I don't know if that's just me getting used to it, but at this point, I'm in that kind of that those three, four, five, like that grouping of games, and it feels fine. It doesn't feel like I'm really traveling back. I mean, it was only like nine, ten years ago, not forever. Uh, but Akiyama, I just I don't like the premise behind his character. He has this weird like he comes across like I know better than you, and I will decide whether or not you get to get a leg up from your situ- shitty situation, and then. There's a very key moment in the story where he meets an important character who goes by Lily, and basically she goes, she comes to him and she's like, "Hey, I need a hundred million yen, I believe the number is," and like that's the most anyone's ever asked him for. And I can already kind of see like how that ties in the future story. Uh, but basically, he says like, "All right, if you if you want this money from me." You have to a become a hostess at the club I own, and then b go on a date with me. And I'm just like, oh, I don't like that like dynamic at all. Just that just feels very, yeah, very exploitative. Very like power dynamics not in a good place. The game, of course, plays it off like she ends up falling for him, or at least being like receptive to his advances. So it's like, oh, it's okay. But I'm just like, ugh, like. I don't know. It just it just rubbed me the wrong way, and then it all climaxes at the scene where they're standing on a rooftop, and he says some really corny, cheesy, bad, awful line, where he's like, "If money can really change people, maybe I can do something for you." And then like kisses her, and it's just like, was that supposed to be romantic? Like I don't I don't feel any. This is where uh, my condolences for you because yeah, like in my opinion, Yakuza Four and Yakuza Five have like the, the there's the the two games in the whole series where it has the roughest stories lines. Okay, I, I I do have more stuff to say like positive on this game when you get away. I, from let me just Yama. mention real quick. I'm just want to just throw this out there. I know he's not here, but Kazuma is like really really huge on the Yakuza series, and like. I know Yakuza 4 is also the one he's just like not a big fan of his overall. So uh, the, also just like, ignoring the character, the story of the first act, it feels like it kind of like flounders and goes nowhere. 
for a good long time until like so each of the there's four characters and i know or i believe i know that they're divided into like four chapters each and like nothing happens or nothing i don't want to say nothing but it feels like the pace is just so slow until part four of akiyama's and then they're finally like i remember like oh yeah we have to like we have to eventually ramp this up into a yakuza game so then you go through like this complete like onslaught dungeon of fighting like the conflict shows itself and then all of a sudden you're like underneath Kamarocho fighting grunt after grunt after grunt and like f- like oh finally like i feel like they could have interspersed this out a little bit more it just it spends so much time like setting up the premise of these characters and this akiyama's finance loan shark company and i just feels like it could have been a bit snappier faster maybe, maybe i just felt that way because i wasn't jiving with the characters at all yeah this, this is the weird part of like how uh, yakuza 3 is st- i separate yakuza 3 from 4 and 5 because while yakuza 3's gameplay and like was like kind of weird i re- I really like the narrative side of yakuza 3 how like it paces itself like once you you know you you spend the first like good hours of the game like running this orphanage for kiryu and then once kamarocho gets back in the mix that's when you get the story but like at least yakuza 3 has like a compelling like cadence to it between like the orphanage and like the people that uh in that town and when he goes back to kamarocho like it fe- it doesn't feel like i was like not jiving with the story at all. Like I really like the antagonist for Yakuza Three and gained a, a bigger appreciation for that when I replayed it uh, last year, you know. But Yakuza Four and Yakuza Five, like the, the in your case, like Yakuza Four, like I just I like the flow of combat way better in Yakuza Four from Three because Yakuza Three was really rough in that aspect and like the the character system progression. But just everything else outside of that, like Yakuza Four is just like oh man, Four definitely I, I, feels better to play and it does have a bit of a smarter implementation of like skill trees not trees but like you you can pick and choose when you level up rather than just like filling bars with the xp um and then you Um, might be able to you might be able to like cynically argue that well yakuza 3 has a slow opening too and you like that one and like i guess maybe then it's just like fact that there's a more like genuine like aspect to it because like you you know it's a real human story with uh, how yakuza 3 handles it unlike yakuza 4 it's like it's very like you said, there are definitely slimy aspects about it. It's like, and it it goes to a very, it, it turns at, at some points to like a corny drama too. Yeah, it just feels like this. Like, is money good or bad? It can be both. Like, like it doesn't do anything like <laughs> compelling. And and Yakuza Three obviously uh, deals with characters like Kiryu and Haruka that we obviously are aware of. And I do think like new characters that it introduces like Ricky are are more interesting and better characters. Anyways, I want to go on a positive note. When I get into part two, where you start playing as Taiga Sajima, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And I kind of knew of this character because he does have a brief, again, playing games out of order, these things happen. Uh, he does have a brief. Should I should I say that? He's a brief appearance yeah. in Yakuza 7. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I was, kinda, I was kind of aware of like generally who this character is, but uh, not much else about him. And this is, again, this is kind of an interesting thing. I was not expecting this game to... Uh, tie into a component that's introduced in Yakuza 0. It's when talking about basically what happened in 1985. And obviously, the developers have placed Yakuza 0 as this sort of like, we want people to start here. So it kind of like introduces this idea of what happened in 1985. It involves Majima. um, And then you kind of learn exactly what you need to learn in that game. And then it doesn't feel like there's anything left open 
like where you have to, you know, oh, am I missing a piece of information here? Because other people played four before this. And then you get into uh, Yakuza 4, you go into the second part where it reintroduces this character and you're like, oh yeah, that's stuff from Yakuza 0. That's just, I played it just long ago where it was like starting to fade from my memory. But like, I just spent like several grueling hours of this game playing as people I didn't care about with a story that I thought was really bad. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, remember this other Yakuza stuff that was actually good? We're bringing that back. And <laughs> uh, so it was it, going into part two where he plays Sejima, I thought was really good, especially if you played Yakuza Zero. And I know, again, most people when Yakuza Zero plays, first came out, played four and then zero. Weird series when you try to discuss like, proper order to play it or whatever. But uh, I just got to the point where I'm running around Kamarocho as his character, and he's quite a bit, he's very different from any other protagonist in the series so far. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, I don't like I don't think he plays as well, but it's still fine, I guess. Like I, I don't feel as down on Saijima's playstyle as I do on Akiyama's character, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, it, uh, Yakuza Four is uh, weird also because there are definitely like. You can make characters fun once you find like their the 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 one good combo they have and just spam it forever. That's that, yeah, that's that's one way to do it. That's, that's how Yakuza Four and Yakuza Five are for me. It's like, you know, you can you can explore what these characters can do, but they're they're definitely quote unquote right answers for what they can do. Like they have like combos that will do any well in any situation, whether it's like a big group fight or it's a boss battle. They always have that one combo that's like, oh, this is way better than anything else they can do. Yeah, so I'm I'm still working my way. Like I just unlocked. Basically, I'm playing this game pretty completionisty. That's an adverb, I guess. Is it? I don't know. Uh, sure. Where where I'm doing the uh, pretty much all the sub stories, uh, at least the ones that don't involve mini games. So I, I just got to the point where I unlocked all of the the, the Taijima's story. Saijima's story starts out pretty like on rails, where you start out like in a in a prison, and it, you can only like there are obviously no like that's not the typical yakuza environment. We can kind of go anywhere and talk to people and complete their sub stories, and then it's kind of like on rails until you finally get to back to Kamarocho. And then once you're there, it's like, all right, now you, now this is Yakuza again. So have fun. Go do sub-stories. Go play mini-games. Uh, so I just got to that point with him. So I'm, I'm eager to see, like, A, how he, like... Yakuza always has this weird dichotomy with, like, how the story portrays itself. And then, like, how these sub-stories kind of act as, like, uh, additional framework for, like, characters and how they think and how they feel. And, in like, removed from the context of the of the, of the the main drama. So I'm interested to see, like, how Saijima comes across in those... Because uh, they're usually a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit more wacky, which seems at odds with Saijima's character. So I'm interested mm-hmm. to see, like, how, how that'll play out once I get through more of them. Yeah, I'm uh, really interested to see where you, where you land on Yakuza 4. Yep, uh, Akiyama sucks. I'm sorry. I just I wasn't feeling him at all. <laughs> sorry. Uh, Saijima seems pretty good. Uh, it's Yakuza. It's I'm having a good time. Like I yeah. wasn't expecting to go right from three into four. I took a very tiny break between them, uh, but I'm not feeling really quite burnt out. So I think. But sometimes when I was going from like Kawami one to Kawami two, I definitely kind of felt a little bit of burnout. But I think three and four are different enough that it's kind of buffered that a bit. It hasn't felt I quite so same. Taking, I recommend taking like a longer break from four to five because five is a very big game compared the rest of the series it's 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 even longer than zero i've heard that it's people have described five to me as like bloated and like way too much yeah excited to see Uh, that yeah i mean once you get there definitely report back i'm i'm 
I'm really uh, energized to hear you about it because I went through, you know, the my Yakuza replays last year, and I'm uh, like always excited for someone taking the, taking that journey. Man, a bunch of us are just doing like marathons of series right now. Well, I mean, that's that's what you're supposed to do in the early parts of the year, right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's the, that's how I felt last year. It's like oh, there's not too much I have to really do, so it's just. Yeah. Which is funny because, like this, like er, like the early months of twenty twenty one have been very packed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I uh, guess a, I, I kind of have that Yakuza six March date in mind as like a deadline. It's like, all right, better if I can knock out Yakuza four before Bravely Default two. That'll be a nice little like get that out of the way. Makes it feel kind of like a chore in some ways, but I'm like, all right, let me let me just play this. Like I'm enjoying myself. Yeah, I, just get, I, it, get I, it through. I like having deadlines. Get it done. Because like, cause it, it motivates me inadversely to like get a game like done, finished. It's like, okay, I want to be done by this date and whatnot. So th- th- that's kind of... My deadline for my Final Fantasy Marathon is Endwalker's release date. God help with me. that. <laughs> yeah, at, at, least, at least it's fall instead of like the usual expansion release date. So you're good. It would, you're good it, this, this might seem a bit weird, but it might be... If, it'll feel good like in a year, two years, three years, whatever, whenever RGG follows up like a dragon with whatever they're going to follow up on that with, it'd be nice to be able to say like, all right, I've actually like, I'm not skipping anything. Well, you can make an argument for like dead souls or whatever else, but uh, like I have, like I am supposed to be here. Like I, I am not breaking, I'm not tripping over any barriers. Hey. Uh, <laughs> I, I, can, hey, I can, I can discord stream dead souls. I still have that on my shelf and a PS, a functioning PS3. If you ever want me to stream <laughs> dead souls. And it'll be nice to be able to like pick up on all the little like. So obviously now I kind of have to play like I have to like reverse it in my mind. Like if something is mentioned in Yakuza three or four, I'm like, oh yeah, I saw this referenced in seven <laughs> or something like that, where I have to think backwards. I'm a series kinda... veteran. Yes, I, I got here uh, in an unorthodox way, but me and probably several others because of the way they decided to release these on PC and Xbox. Anyways, that was my week. So just one game for me, Yakuza four. Just uh, as a heads up to listeners that uh, Cullen had something important come up, so he's you know he popped out, which is fine. It was great having him on for bravely talk. Yep, we are obviously volunteers when it comes to this podcast, and we do it on Saturdays, which people have lots of things going on. Hundred percent okay. So I guess now we got to switch over to who's left. We've got George, Adam, and Josh. Adam, do you have anything to talk about this week? You don't have anything listed on our on our little. No, list. I just I just finished Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, How long did it take you? I was a bit completionist with it, so about a hundred hours. Oh boy! Um, no, I will say that like I don't I, I I talked about this a lot last week, um, so I, I'll I'll be pretty brief here. But having skipped like seven games, and the story is like. The, the the connecting story between Assassin's Creed is kind of bonkers and out there anyways. But like some of the stuff at the end of Valhalla is just like, what the hell is going on? Uh yeah, dude. Yeah, it, it gets really uh, out there. <laughs> so uh, like I heard I heard how that game ends, and I'm like, oh, I I know that. Not necessarily like how it came to that, but I know it's, that. <laughs> not to like spoil anything if if anyone cares, but it's like the the, the way that like all these Assassin's Creed games have like all these different like mythologies between Greek and Roman and uh, Norse and Egyptian and whatnot. It's like, there's actually like an ancient society and they were also actually very 
technological, but something happened to them. And you get all so, these weird. As someone that hasn't literally. played the Assassin's Creed series, but knows a lot of people that do play it. One of my uh, online friends has described it as Assassin's Creed is the Kingdom Hearts story for history nerds. Yeah, it is very Kingdom Hearts. That is a very, very, very apt uh, uh, description. Oh, George excited. I know, George, George is like, I'm getting extremely aroused. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I was just going to say, um, I think I'm, because I, I know what happens in Valhalla. <laughs> I. Uh, I always check this out. I never play the game, so I always kind of see what the ending is. I see what what they're trying to link. I just want them to just man up and do a, a few, not a future, but like a current Assassin's Creed. I would love them to do like a modern take on it. I know that's really unpopular opinion. I know people play these games for the history side of it, but I've always loved. Well, I loved the Desmond bits. I'm not massive on the newer characters, but I would love to see what they could do with the gameplay mechanics, but in like a big like high rise city. That'd be awesome. Uh, I don't think they'll ever do it. I think this is always going to be a background of whatever Assassin's Creed game and what timeline they're in. But that, that's my hope. I think that's when I would jump back on. I think I will admit there there is a part of me that's like maybe I should play the other ones, but I just think of how big of a time sink that would be. And just like clearly, I should have segued to you about about skipping games. Yeah. it feels like it feels it's like Assassin's Creed games that like. I'll play. I'll play one entry like every ten years at this point. Like I said last yeah. week, I hadn't played since Revelation, and I was just like, "Let me try out this new one." Yeah, so, same here. And I didn't. I've played since Brotherhood, and I tried out this one. Like I, uh, like whenever I get back to this game and play like the rest of it, it'll, it'll feel like okay, I'm good on a strategy for another like 10, 15 years, man. This is mm-hmm. a big game. So yeah, hundred percent done with it. I guess you got a yeah. I am done. I am done. Like I am. I will no longer. Well, yeah. Oh. I guess I I am situated to like when they do DLC stuff, and I actually did buy the ultimate edition or whatever. It's so like whatever. Uh, I I will get your season pass, and when they do like DLC stuff, I was like, I can jump back in for that. Did, you do, for the, did you do all the Christmas content they added for a limited time? I think I missed that. Oh. I was playing Neo Two when that was. That's, done. Not, that's not completionist. Wait, so they had like a seasonal event, like an MMO or a Destiny or something? Yeah, they had like a Yuletide event, like for Christmas. That just seems I was so playing Neo too. What a time we live in! Yeah, yeah the single player yeah. game, like yeah. having season. Yeah. Well, I guess like games like Knights did that too. So maybe it's not that weird. It still feels weird. All right. By the way, Neo Two is amazing. George, go ahead. Yep, I'll. Uh, I feel. Like the massive outlier this week, which I guess isn't <laughs> isn't new. I usually am, but um, I've also I've been playing East. I, we talked about it earlier. Uh, really enjoying it. I, I think next week I keep saying this every week, but I'm I'm so close to the end now. I'm just going to get through it. Uh, so next week I'll probably talk about it again. So four weeks of East nine in a row. Uh, but I decided to pick up Little Nightmares too, uh, and it was really really good. Really short. I don't know, I don't know anything about this game. Uh, give me the. Give me the explain it like I'm five. What is this? It, it is a puzzle platformer in the style of Tim Burton, but if Tim Burton did a bunch of acid and just saw some really like creepy it's stuff. It's a horror game too. Yeah, it's a horror game. Yeah, that, that's probably the easier way of explaining it. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say the thing is it's it's not scary like Resident Evil scary. It really doesn't rely on jump scares at all. It's all about tension and atmosphere. Have you, uh, have you played Inside, Brian? Uh, no, I've only played. Uh, what was the one before that? Limbo. Uh, Limbo. Limbo. I played okay, Limbo. Yeah, somewhat, somewhat, somewhat similar to that, but like the premise 
of it is like you're playing like these miniaturized like characters so the scale of it is like things that look like normal size supposed to be much bigger like on them because they're miniaturized like it's like like uh, how do i shrunk the kids but horror style yeah well, not that tiny that that you can it depends how you view it i i kind of see you're it. like the size of a cat yeah you're, you're like they're supposed to be kids but I guess the twist of it is I've been reading interviews on it and they say it's more like how a child would view growing up. I've seen that sort of take on it quite a few times, uh, which in two, I guess I don't, I can't, I, I won't spoil it. Um, I won't even talk about the ending besides saying it is, it is crazy. Uh, and that's why I actually got little nightmares too. I bought the first one earlier in the year. Well, I guess earlier last year, uh, and I never finished it. I played like an hour of it, and I was like, "Yeah, this is cool," but it's not really for me. Like, I didn't really get into it that much. Uh, and then when Little Nightmares Two was coming out, and they did like the demo of it, I tried that out and really enjoyed it. And I found out one of the twist endings for the DLC packs they released. Uh, I'll say it if if no one like is particularly first, it's just really dark. So in the DLC for the first one, you play as this, you play as another child. Uh, and you have like these three DLC episodes, you go through them, and then at the end he gets turned into this thing called a gnome. Uh, they don't appear in the second one, but they appear in the first. And the ending of that DLC implies that the main character of the main game eats the character that got turned into a gnome. Oh wow! And, okay. Yeah, they're, they're, they're children, like they, they're kids as well, and it's just like it's already a dark scene in the first game. Uh, but then when you realise that. Uh, six is eating another kid he's just like that made me go jesus christ like that's really it's messed up but it's really clever it's really cool like it's an it's a cool twist and little nightmares 2 does like a lot of stuff like that where it's you know there's big twists coming and then when a big twist comes it's still like that's really clever uh and when i finished it i wasn't i wasn't particularly scared throughout the game there was maybe one scene in the hospital that had me like actually creeped out and it's where these like little hands are chasing you through the hospital that 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 kind of made me like sit up on the sofa, like get my legs out from anything that could grab me. Uh, but I went to bed and I was still thinking about, I was still thinking about the game and the ending. And I was like, wow, that's really clever. I feel like <laughs> I should say this just because nobody's going to really know this anyways. If you want to play it, it's actually a Stadia pro game right now. So if you have go. Stadia, yeah. you can play it for free. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome. Yeah. I, I've watched some little nightmares too. Uh, like, you know, people streaming it and playing it, like just having it on the background. And the, there's a, there's a really, really cool, like artistry, like, like the atmosphere of it, like the way they manipulate the lighting systems and how it usually like, uh, that, like there's a, like a lot of like hard lights at some levels on it. That's like, it's really kind of striking and especially in dark environments, but what really stood out to me, uh, when I was uh, watching it's like, there's like this school level in it and like everything they do oh, with that. Man, seems yeah. Really cool. And how they start, like, like you know, it's not really like a horror game where it's like a lot of like jump out scares, but it's good at really building tension and and like making you always aware. Yeah, I, I'm I'm somewhere in the middle of that where I I appreciate both. I I, I get quite a kick out of it, um, jump scares. Like it's it's a good thing to like show your friends. Like, oh look at this, hey, jump scare. But Little Nightmares too. It's it's probably my favorite game of the year so far. Like I know. Wow. Oh, ago. it looks really good. Like yeah, a friend of mine's been streaming yeah. it, like on Discord, and I've been watching him, and it it looks really nice. Mm. It's just, but my only problem with it uh, is its length, which I think it, it is paced really well, and it was always going to be a short game. But still, when you when I finished it in one night, uh, one just four hour session, I was kind of like, oh man, like I'm, I'm so into this, I would love them to like take like 
three or four years making a third game in the series. It's it's so difficult to like like have those types of like game like horror games like last for too long without overstaying its welcome too. That's like, true. Yeah, very true. And I I think the twist of that is a game like the first thing that comes to mind when I think of a horror game is Resident Evil. And the difference with Resident Evil is that it starts off, you're always really underpowered and it's scary for the first couple of hours. And then the game never ever stays its welcome because eventually it's basically just an action game and you're soon able to defeat the enemies you see. Whereas in Little Nightmares, you never get that chance. You're, you're always running, you're always hiding. Uh, so I don't know, I, I can't wait for a sequel. I, I know I say this about like every game that I play, but I've been playing some good games, I guess. Hey man, that's what you did. Like, you know, you enjoy something, it's like, I want more of it. Mm. And also, um, as a very me point, obviously I bought the collector's edition. You know, you know, I like buying my collector's editions, and this is a really cool one. Uh, it comes with a little diorama of Mono pulling six out of a TV, and it's just like it's a really it's quite small, but it's like a really detailed diorama, and it's like the cheapest collector's edition I bought in a really long time. It was like forty pounds for me, so that's basically the price of like a normal game, and it just, it just looks awesome. So but, but it's not, yeah, but it's not like it's not not like one of those things where like the the low price like. It's like you pay for what you get. It's like it's actually high quality. Oh yeah, I would have paid. Well, I would have paid more for it if if I'd seen like the quality of it. I would have been happy to pay more. So I just feel like I've got a bargain here. Cool, that's awesome. So is that pretty much so that game just came out a couple of days ago, uh, right? Yeah, I, I, I like I said, I I played it in one sitting. Uh, I'm still thinking about it now. I'm half tempted to go and try and platinum it, but maybe I'll wait for some trophy guides. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's, yeah there, there's like I think like a, a secret ending to it because after getting some collectibles. Yeah, I've seen the secret ending. Um, cool. It's I don't really want to spoil it because it's yeah, don't spoil it. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool, and the implications of it are cryptic as ever. They're they're very cryptic. They're very think of it as you will. But it's the sort of ending that made me go straight onto a Reddit post and see, oh, what do other people think this means? And I love that. That's Kingdom yeah. Hearts. I love it. Just like, what does this mean? What do you think this means? What's going to happen next? Do you think they're going to make a follow-up immediately after? No, I don't think so. Um, I think the way that this one connects with the first and also with the DLC and also like all the little spin-offs and comics, I think that maybe it's a complete circle. I think that they don't need to. I really want them to. Uh, I would love them to keep going like with these every couple of years, but you know, I think that this is a sequel that elevates everything that the first game did. And I kind of want them to end on that, you know, like it is, it's such a, a I don't want to say a perfect sequel because there are little issues, but it, it does exactly what I wanted it to do. And I don't know if like a third one could do that even more. Like I could, I could get what I want and it could be longer and then that length could be a detriment. So may, maybe, maybe take some time off for it, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe a bit more, I guess. Have the has the developers made any other game besides Little Nightmares? Tarsia Studios. Uh, I don't. They think worked so. on Little Big Planet uh, Vita. Oh. Oh. oh, oh, that makes it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, Wikipedia page: Little Big Planet, Little Big Planet Two, Tearaway Unfolded. Oh, Tearaway oh, was a cool. Game. Yeah, the, the port of Tearaway. Yeah, I was wow. going to say that. Oh, they also did the Stretchers game for Nintendo Switch. Hmm. Strong I don't studio. Know what that is. Yeah, but it's like the only reason I knew that about Tarsier is that um, I'm mutuals with someone on Twitter from there because I used to be really into Little Big Plant when I was younger. And like one of the people that used to post on the Little Big Plant Central forums uh, followed me on Twitter because we were like friends on there. So that's why. Small world. 
Little World. Ah, not uh, segways. Uh, I was going to say that. <laughs> I still need to play that Sackboy game. I mean, um, really um, I like Sackboy a lot. Well, who was it? Well, what celebrity said, said they'd like stayed up till two AM to play Sackboy Little Adventure? Was it Rihanna? Ariana Grande? Nice. Clearly, I clearly, I clearly do not have my finger on this pulse. <laughs> <laughs> Same. But man, now I feel like I should pick up Little Nightmares One and Two just to kind of support them. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I, I would, like I said, I would totally recommend it. it it's I got most of the way through the first one and that's that's even shorter i think you can do that in two or three hours uh so i think i'll probably finish mm. that as well just round it all out but they're, they're so good I, I love my horror games and they're some of the best it's all right and last but not least we've got josh to talk about a couple games that he's been playing i'm not even going to try to make this a clever segue it's josh <laughs> go ahead yeah, yeah, I can finally talk about uh, my time with Persona 5 Strikers. Um, my review's up on the site. Uh, Persona 5 Strikers is a spin-off uh, of Persona 5 that takes place um, about half a year after the original Persona 5 ended. Um, so it's not like uh, acknowledging characters that uh, were from Persona 5 Royal, just because I imagine of the development cycle, because Persona 5 Royal and this game were like in development at the same time so it's, it's hard to like kind of schedule around that but i, I think you know it's, it's not a big big deal so if you play persona 5 royal you can hop into this game and whatnot and not be totally lost you'll be fine um this is uh, primarily developed um by omega force and omega force is you know infamous to a lot of people because they're the dynasty warriors studio and whatnot so a lot of people characterize this game as like a muso game or having that like one versus many uh brawler type of deal uh this is it's kind of that in the sense that like you still have like you know these light and heavy uh com uh, combos and how it resembles a muso game but it's much more like you know uh uh an action rpg that has that like action type gameplay but there are many like persona 5 systems around it so to, just to set up the game um uh, at the end of persona 5 uh you know it's not a big spoiler that you know, Joker goes back to his hometown with Morgana and whatnot. And the Strikers uh, begins with a Joker and Morgana coming back to Tokyo to go visit their friends for summer vacation and whatnot. And once they uh, start, you know, saying, hey, it's nice to, nice having you back and whatnot. Let's go have some fun, uh, some barbecue and whatnot. Uh, things kind of go start going amiss pretty fast when they start uh, learning that uh, people's hearts have been changing. Again, someone's doing a change of heart on people. It's not the Phantom Thieves and whatnot. And so the, the very beginning chapter of Strikers, for example, uh, focuses on this um, very popular uh, store's representative and whatnot. She's a very cute girl, kind of like an idol type. Uh, and people are like raving, getting, uh, becoming raving fanatics of her and whatnot, like to an unhealthy degree, getting obsessed with her. Like um, breaking up, like relationships, couples uh, separating because you know their partners getting uh, obsessive about her uh, in a, to an unhealthy degree, and Phantom is like, this is kind of weird and whatnot. And so uh, you know things happen here and there. Um, there's this new smartphone app called Emma, and it's kind of like the Siri uh, equivalent parallel. Well, what's the Amazon one? Amazon has a 
Alexa? Alexa. It's kind of like that. So instead of uh, accessing the metaverse through the weird app that they had in Persona 5, they do it through Emma. So they instead of like um, trying to find um, like these three key words, like in um, in the original, I'm trying to remember what what it was like. But instead, they everyone has like a keyword to become your friend on Emma. So for some some of them, when you enter that keyword, they get access into the metaverse through Emma. That's the way they justify it in this game. So they, when they access the metaverse, it's not a person's palace. They enter this jail. And this jail is a much more open area compared to Persona 5. It's not like um it's not just like a school building like in the original. Uh in like the, the very first jail you uh enter in this game, it's all of Shibuya. So it's a lot of uh open pathways, streets, and whatnot. And as they're navigating around it, um they realize, oh, we have to go find these three cores around this jail to move on, and then just the whole same type of deal of like they send a calling card to to face off against the boss. Instead of like trying to find the treasure in Persona Five, they things are a little bit different in Strikers, where uh, people's desires get stolen, and that's what makes them obsessive in like real life uh, around this figure and whatnot. So they have to get their desires back uh, from this jail. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, even though there's an uh, a different battle system. A lot of like the flow of it is very much the same. When you enter this jail, you still have to sneak through shadow patrols. So you find cover and at these marked spots and you can ambush them. And it works uh, very similarly to Persona 5. Once you ambush them, you have an advantage when you start a battle. But in, in this one, when you uh, start a battle, it'll take place exactly where you initiated that combat, but it'll how it'll make like some sort of like pocket arena. So you obviously can't like run across the entire level for this um, battle. And, you know, dozens and dozens of, uh, of enemies will spawn uh, when you ambush someone. And in the, anytime in the middle of combat, as you're doing combos on them with your light and heavy attacks, you can pull up your persona that'll freeze time. It's not, it's not like FF7 Remake where time will go very slowly. It's just like a, a big pause. And it's like, okay, you can take your time to analyze the situation and see... Uh, what skills you want to um, unleash. And if it's like a, a damage skill or an ailment skill, it'll have like this AOE marker uh, showing uh, the area where it'll hit. So you can hit like multiple enemies with say like a simple lightning spell because it'll still be a circle and any like enemy in there will get hit. Um, so just like in the original, when you hit um, an enemy's weakness, they'll be dazed and you can do an all-out attack. Um, unlike the uh, original, it's not like some sort of uh, flashy attack where, like, you'll see like someone's customized Ender screen if you beat them. It's like, hey, everyone gathers up, beats on this enemy, and then they're, they're, they'll either be dead or you continue the battle. Um, and that's like kind of the the big change from it. It's just everything's in real time now. You can actively dodge um, and whatnot. Uh, just like in the, the original game, there's still a fusion system uh, where you can not recruit demons. Uh, you instead of recruiting, they have like a chance of dropping their mask yeah. that you can yeah. you can like use you can like add their components of their abilities to your attacks in some way. Yeah. So uh, essentially, when you uh, beat an enemy, 
they have a chance of dropping uh, uh, their mask. And once you collect this mask, they just automatically join you. There's no like negotiation and whatnot. It's just like, okay, I got it. Cool. And if you get like a dupe like of a demon that you already have, you'll like gain additional uh, currency called persona points. And uh, I'll touch upon that later, but just keep in mind there's a persona points in this game. PP and whatnot. <laughs> PP. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking Pokemon. Uh, uh, sorry, so, Josh. I know you've been talking a bit. I do have some questions, but I'll let yeah. you continue. Okay. So, uh, where, where was I? So, there's this fusion system. Talking about PP. Yeah, talking about PP. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, you can fuse, like, obviously, the, the demons that you collect. Um, just so that you go back to the same velvet room and you're in your prison cell and whatnot in this game. And you can, like, you know, gain new personas that way, just like in the original game. Um, and like Adam alluded to earlier, it's kind of weird how they treat spells in this game, uh, where you can manually cast them and it'll, it'll consume either HP or MP, um, just like in the game. But you can also use those skills in the middle of your combos, of your basic combos, like as a finisher, like say, I do a square square triangle ender and like at the end of that this uh the persona that you have equipped will like uh cast like an ability that's like inherent to them like say um pixie at the very beginning of the game always pixie always has dia and that's like a basic healing skill so you can cast dia manually on yourself or or or, uh, or a party member uh consuming mp but you can also cast it for free without consuming MP, but it'll just be less potent. So if you cast it on yourself, it feels like 30 HP. If you were to like do it in the as an ender to your um basic combo, you can cast it, but it would only heal like say 10 or 12 HP or whatnot. Just example values. So it's kind of a weird thing where they can you can actually like find like the right persona where and you can like just endlessly heal yourself and your um party members. Like I know um principality is a very common SMT demon, also in the Persona games, where um, you can cast media after you do a string, and it's like, oh, okay, you can keep your party members healed constantly after the end of each combo and whatnot, and no MP. So that's a weird dynamic of um, where they go with it. Obviously, the one main benefit of casting spells manually is you can use any spell that like they've inherited through fusion. Like Unlike, um, unlike the ones where they're only um equipped with it inherently obviously there are ones that they'll inherit through fusion uh depending on how you fuse them and whatnot um and uh obviously you always go with a party of four uh after a certain point early in the game uh all the fandom thieves are playable off the bat once the g- game starts rolling they have um a new ally named sophie uh or sophia and her code name is sophie and she's essentially um an ai uh, and her, she has been tasked to become "quote unquote" humanity's companion. That's all you know about her early in the game, and that's all she, she had, knows, right? That's all she knows. She's an amnesia, uh, and so how they interact with her in the real world is since she's an AI, she's just stuck in Joker's phone. It's kind of it's like uh, James will understand this. It's kind of like in Steins Gate Zero, um, where you interact with like a character, of uh, uh, important character, but they're like you're talking to them through their cell phone. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And so that that she has a weird dynamic with the with the crew, but it it works as as the game goes on. It's kind of jarring at first, but she becomes like a natural fit. And one of the other characters that I really love 
uh, is Zenkichi, and she he works for uh, public security, and it's it's kind of funny. Pub, public security in this game knows the identity of the Phantom Thieves straight up. Like it's no secret. There's no like, oh, who are the Phantom Thieves? Public security just knows. So Zenkichi uh, tails the Phantom Thieves early on, and he's he's kind of makes them a deal of like, hey, um, I I need your help with this because. It it turns out like this change of heart thing is not only happening in Tokyo, it's happening all across the country, and they dub it the change of heart epidemic. So there are uh, people in different cities throughout Japan that are just like exhibiting symptoms of like getting obsessive over a certain figure or individual. It's like something's wrong uh, unnaturally. So so obviously, as far as public security is concerned, like only the Phantom Thieves have this ability to change uh to trigger a change of heart so they're automatically suspecting like it's it's got to be them but but that's on some level that they don't really have the evidence so Zenkichi um basically blackmails them he's like okay uh public security is on track of like just arresting you but we need your help to get the to the bottom of this case um so Go travel across Japan, uh, investigating this change of heart epidemic uh, with me, uh, with your help, and pub PubSec won't be on your ass. Like, well, um, okay, I guess. So, Persona Five Strikers, um, for a very small part of it, takes place in where you've been in Persona Five, given Tokyo. But for the large part, it's a, a road trip across Japan um, in an RV that they get early on. Like, uh, I think. What was his name? So Jiro has like an RV that they they let him let them borrow, and so the the, the flow of Persona Five Strikers is you're going across from city to city, solving change of heart epidemics, trying to find like these um they call they call them monarchs instead of palace rulers they call them monarchs of these jails and finding out what's their deal. And the nice thing about this game is that um, unlike figures like um, the first and second boss. Of Persona Five, or um, what was it the bank, the Kanishiro? Unlike the like those figures in Persona Five, which were like very unlikable, very like oh, this person has no redeeming qualities. They're just being evil for being evil's sake, essentially. Like it's not really much more deeper than that. In Persona Five Strikers, the monarchs there have a more um, nuanced take of like oh, there are reasons that contextualize why this figure is doing this. And uh, how that correlates and whatnot, and it's also cool that since this is an epilogue story from the Phantom Thieves, like the Phantom Thieves already went through their arcs. So yeah, it, can I butt in here real quick? Go for it. Um, this is actually like one of the most interesting parts about the game to me. I think. I mean, the fact that it's like an action RPG is also like interesting on itself, but the fact that like in Persona games, a lot of it is like each dungeon each villain each chapter of the game is basically tied to like introducing a new character and one and their problem sort of thing um until you get to the very end so like this is the dungeon that's futaba's dungeon or whatever and this is makoto's dungeon and like the 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 it, it sort of like works as like an introduction to the character as well as like a conflict surrounding them in a way so in persona 5 strikers and this is what you're getting at which is why i butt in it that that it really interests me how it's just like you can have these new villains that have their own like uh 
personality and take that's kind of divorced from the character cast and it maybe a little bit more nuanced or a little bit more interesting and doesn't adhere to such a such a strong like formula and the fact that the characters that you that you are interacting with throughout the entire game have all gone through like their preliminary growth like their onset of their character arc so you can kind of have them more on like an even playing field the whole time mm-hmm. uh and that that's that's really interesting to me yeah and i, I think that's one of the, uh, the nice things that where strikers excels at and also you know it's a it's a much more um digestible game as well like you know in persona 5 you're you're at least spending at least 100 hours on that game to complete it if not a little bit more depending and on a lot of that is di- uh the confidants and yeah. side events and like kind of filling bars and things like that. Yeah. And this game, it's a much more slimmer game, even though it's like, I still almost clocked in 40 hours. That's still a way slimmer game than persona five, but I think it really works in its favor. Cause I wasn't, you know, I, I if this could be like a, 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 a summer side story vacation type of deal, it doesn't need to be as long as the original game. It's kind of like a nice t- tie up to where they bought God and where they're going. And whatnot. So this, so what really like threw me off about this game since you're stuck like on the main story for the most part, um, you'll hear a lot more voice acting because of the ratio of that. Like in, in Persona Five, there's still voice acting in the main events, but the main the next main event not be for like another twenty hours. You might not hear like yeah, like, rather than having rather than having two weeks of in game, just you you know roaming around Tokyo doing confidants it's there's none of that so you kind of cut all that out so you kind of go from one major story scene to the next to the next so yeah that that's sort of i get i get where that would come from yeah and, and uh, there's no confidence in this game but that's fine you know i think that's it really you don't there's really no need to be a, for for a confidence system in the game it just wouldn't fit especially right. in, the, in the nature of like they're not staying at one place getting to know people they're just like they're on a mission around the country like okay here 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 all right mm-hmm. it's not it's not like you're going to like like Okinawa or something, be like, hey, dude, like, uh, I'm like Joe Schmo, like, social link one. It's like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it just wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work. Uh, they don't have a confidant system, but they still have, like, kind of like uh, that, like, that tune of, like, you know, when you do something right with the confidant, like the little tune that it, it yeah. takes. So the, there's, like, this new bond system. It's not a confidant system at all, but throughout, you know, main story events or when you beat, uh, no battles you'll charge up this bond gauge and every time you uh fill it up you'll gain like some bond points and you can spend those bond points on like not necessarily a skill tree but like a uh, like this board of like things where you can enhance like you know your passives like you get more uh, permanent hp bonus for all your characters or permanent uh plus one to your strength or plus three strength for all your characters and whatnot so it's just something to another currency to pour more um you know helpful things into like instead of actual lockpick items in this game where you like you know you crafted lockpicks in the original game in this game there's still lockpicks but you you level up your lockpick level because there will be some chests in um some jails where it's like oh you need lockpick level two and it's like okay i just leveled that up instead of like consuming a lockpick item so it's little stuff like that or, or so get- in this game and you mentioned this i believe in your review and, and maybe in casual chat with with us you can revisit jails and like sometimes you might have to for like a side quest or do you ever have to like go back to an early jail like oh wow this first this first jail has like a level 10 lockpick and you need to come back when you when i'm high enough to do that anything like that 
there there are some jails where yes they have like a lock pick level three it's like oh i don't have that at all yet um but you do have to revisit like if you're a completionist for treasure chests there there, there are some times where i just have to you you gain more levels uh after main story events for some of the uh for some of these bond things so right. let's say lockpick level three i leveled it uh to level two and then i'll say unlock condition question mark question mark question mark i'm like do i need to do that from uh, after completing a main story or a side quest because some side quest rewards are just hey you have a new level cap for this bond thing as well so there are oh. definitely some times where you have to backtrack and one of my major grievances in this game now that you mentioned our side quests there are a lot of side quests in this game that just feel like chores like say you just beat this jail and then it's like oh you have like five new requests and all of them are like hey go back to that previous jail and go beat that boss again go beat like these enemies that you were just in the jail that you were at and then go find this like collectible or these collectibles in that previous jail that you were at and these all unlock like after you just beat that too so it's like Come on, man. You could have given this so to you, me. So you can't be efficient and try to like knock out side quests as you're doing the story. It's like, nope, you yeah. got to do one and then the other. Yeah. Yeah. It's, huh. it's, it, it, that's kind of annoying. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fun ride. I, I think people, you know, who are Persona 5 fans, they shouldn't miss out on this because it's just, it feels nice like seeing these characters and this cast. Not being so downtrodden by like and so being so swept about like the messy narrative in Persona Five, like it, it like there were definitely some points in Persona Five. It's like, oh, what the fuck are we doing to this story? This one, this is like, it's a mixture of a nice road trip and like an intriguing like narrative around it too. And and like I said, Zenkichi, very good character. I I really like Zenkichi, and I think a lot of people will too. How long did it take you to finish the game? Uh, a little under forty hours, and then after after you're done with the game, there are you know, more new challenges after that too. Like there'll be harder versions of the bosses, you know, that you can challenge. Uh, Forty hours is short for a Persona game. So yeah. I'm happy to hear that. Like that, yeah. I'm probably gonna get this when it comes out, and that yeah. very sure. I I think you've convinced me to try this out because, you know, as someone who I'm not like a major super duper Persona fan, I've played like all the games, but um. When they when I saw like oh Mega Force is making a Persona spinoff I'm like oh it's just gonna be like another yeah. Fire Emblem Warriors or a Hyrule Warriors and I like I I put I played a little bit of Age of Calamity over the holiday break and I was just like man this is just not for me but knowing that Persona Five Strikers is really not that 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 has me much more interested in it. It, it really helps that like there is outside of like so, selecting past jails there's really no like main menu screen that has like a stage select option in the menu screen you know like it's just because that's a that's really what really throws me off about uh some of like the third-party licenses that omega force has for their you know um third-party ip games and like applying like the muso formula that they have on them it's like it just feels so formulaic and like oh it's just like a stage select and you get some of these recognizable characters and you throw them on a battlefield and it's like yep that's basically has all the identifying traits of a dynasty warriors game that like either you will or will jo- not jive with at all this one just feels like the main driving force of this game is its main narrative and it's presented much like it was in persona 5 like how these characters interact how the how the story and narrative flow together it's really like the only parts where like you get a jive of like that muso formula is just uh, some of it is like it through like the basic attacks in in um normal mm-hmm. battles and whatnot and that's not really that egregious as well 
uh, yeah. as well because like you know you have all these persona systems or these systems from persona 5 to really spice it up like there there are definitely like some cases in this game where unlike persona 5 royal where it actually it was actually a decent challenge and i was only at normal difficulty like you can go in hard and merciless in persona 5 and be totally fine as long as you're exposing weaknesses and this one you can expose weaknesses but that you, you there are still a lot of like fatal things that can like <laughs> there, there, there there's that this is like one of those very baseline things when, like when you're comparing like turn-based rpgs versus like action rpgs when you turn up the difficulty in a game like Persona 5 strikers you have to know i'm, I'm imagining you have to learn how to dodge like mm-hmm. you have to you can't get hit whereas in persona 5 like a turn-based game it's more like strategy like you can't dodge like you don't, you don't even need on to command so even, so that that's a funny thing about uh strikers like you don't even need to learn how to dodge in some cases uh some of it it just comes down to how well do you know um how how prepared are you for the upcoming fight in terms of like persona arsenal because joker can like just like in the uh base game can switch up persona 5 attributes on the fly depending on his arsenal like some uh, some will be absorbing nuclear while weak to fire or uh, another like strong to ice and like uh so i, ima- so I imagine that if like you see certain enemies like i better switch to persona a here real quick yeah. and oh now i gotta switch to this persona while i'm taking on this group because they can do this element or yeah, whatever. Like, what like the harder fights in the game that I, like one of the optional harder fights in the game that i faced like against the, they did a lot of nuclear attacks so i was like oh i'll just go switch to this persona and nothing there's not I mean nothing really threatening about what this um boss is doing to joker personally because like he'll just re- like either null or absorb it because that's just the inherent persona attributes that he has so i don't have to worry about joker it's just all my other party members who are stuck with their personas and their attributes and whatnot and that that's a really cool aspect to it where you can actually just plan around you know you don't have to be like a dodge god or whatever to get, get through some fights it's just sometimes it's just all about planning and, and i guess i haven't really touched on this either it's like you can manually control anyone in your party as well and they all play very differently like some of them have like power-up attacks like sophie for example your new party member she builds uh dual yo-yos and like her unique ability is she can actually charge them up and like uh give her a faster attack speed and extend the range of the yo-yos and whatnot meanwhile yusuke you know he's oh, very that's cool yeah and yusuke uh for his like move set he has the ability to like uh go into this counter stance at any like physical attack that comes his way he'll like kind of do a slow-mo in time and like do a fancy ei counter slash and you'll see a lot of blade lines slashing through enemies out of that and whatnot it's very and and you can actually like improve and enhance characters the more you play them because they'll unlock master arts the more you play them and that'll uh add more to their arsenal or moveset and like increase like their properties like one of the master arts might be like oh this um that this character can now follow up uh their their triangle finisher and, and like launch this uh enemy into the air and you can follow after them and continue your combo midair or the other one like for haru i think um she has this move where she like uh does the like the diablo barbarian spin move or like a link spin so, move uh-huh so like hers is like oh you can you can actually now char uh hold down like the triangle button and all her finishers will uh, go on longer, so she'll like spin even longer, uh, just because you've been playing her a lot, and it's very effective and very apparent. Um, 
where it goes. It's it's really that's cool. cool. That's cool. So like a character doesn't necessarily just get old after playing them because you're unlocking like you're, they're getting either new abilities or enhanced abilities as you play them. So that's cool. Yeah. And and, and uh, one of the characters' traits also like uh, like has interesting like gameplay systems where like this character will go into this mode where it'll drain health uh constantly but it'll power up all his moves and whatnot and it's like it's very devastating but you're taking a cost for it and you can and you can you can exit this mode at any time so it's like a defensive stance almost so it's it's really cool like even though this game is relatively like low on its roster size compared to like other um titles uh, that have gone through the muso treatment it's it feels refreshing and nice because they all play very differently and it's very faithful to persona 5's style of like exploration and storytelling so it i don't i'm not really like missing much uh in terms of like oh like like it's it's not like another one of those third-party licenses that went through the muso treatment like in a bland manner like a lot like a, a good chunk of them are like decent but this is this is Omega Force at another level and like really shows the potential of like them really working closely with Atlas. It like- feels like um all of like Koei Tecmo's teams are just popping off recently. Yeah. Like I obviously I don't know which team it was specifically that worked on uh, Dragon Quest Builders 2, but a few years ago they did that, which was just oh. actually fantastic. Good. You have Persona 5 Strikers, you have Neo 2, which just got the PC port, which obviously like everyone I've seen that's been playing the PC version has been enjoying it. And obviously it was like in our five uh, best games of the year last year. Um, but like everything, Always. like and Atelier Ryza too, like us, they're popping off too. It's like just really and good even times like to be. House is primarily yeah. developed by Koei Tecmo. Yeah. Very, very strong studio right now. It's cool to see these like not gigantic, I don't want to say like second tier, but these like these guys that seem to have like a downer period of they're time in the like growing the phase. era yeah it's cool to see like more actors entering the stage and creating some quality game after quality game yeah I, i'm sorry brian you said you had a, a question earlier uh i was gonna say i think when you were talking about persona 5 strikers is that the only persona game that i've played is golden and then i think i played the first arena and i guess the the way that persona 4 had like poorly received spinoff after poorly received spinoff, at least to my impression, based on uh, the arena series. And I guess maybe the dancing series were well received, but they just felt like, you know, fun extras. Um, I guess like when, when, when persona five strikers was first announced like years ago at this point, cause it took a year for it to come out over here. Uh, I guess I was just like, Oh, of course they're going to be doing like the whole, the, go- the whole gamut of Persona 5 spinoffs now. Like, I immediately kind of, like, discredited it. Like, oh, of course they're doing this. Like, this is this is requisite. But it seems like, like, this might be the strongest, quote, spinoff that they've done, based on your impressions. Uh, I'd, I'd say so, yeah. Like, in terms of, like, um, in, ter- in terms of, like, how it, how faithful it is to the actual flow of the game, yes. But, like, the, but I still have very, like, I don't know if it's, like, the strongest overall, because it's, it's an entirely taken a different genre, and like, yeah, past spinoffs have like have gone undergone genre shifts too, and it really jived for a lot of people. Like the Persona Four Arena fighting games, you know, they they, they jived a lot for fighting game players. Like, I really like those games a lot. I, I, I like them for their gameplay systems more so than their story. Like, I think a lot of their stories are kind of. Eh, I, I, I thought the story. I, I, I kind of agree with you in terms of like. 
I kind of well, I think it's, if you're talking about gameplay or story, like I really like the Persona Q games. In fact, I like those like probably more than the mainline. But story has nothing to do with it, like at yeah. all. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it sounds like the story here and the characters here are like actually a highlight. So yeah, I was very surprised that the that the story in Strikers was like really pretty good yeah so it sounds like it's a game more built for like both the gameplay fans of that style of game and also persona fans where like if you're just a persona fan maybe it's hard to recommend persona q if you're not a dungeon crawler fan or persona 4 arena if you're not a fighting game fan Where here it's like hey if you're a persona fan there is a good this is a good almost sequel in terms of narrative for persona 5 it's a different style of game even even for Muso fans, this is like this is like like reaching new ground for Omega Force because uh, Kite and I, Kite, one of our contributors at the site, like him and I are like are are pretty like not big big fans of like Muso games, but like we we play them and we enjoy a good chunk of them. But we we always talk about like you know they they Omega Force could do better, and with Strikers, it's like they're finally like reaching a new ground where they're being faithful to the game while introducing new concepts. Uh, to their usual formula, like just having the ability to switch up, like you know, your personas on the fly, and changing attributes, and like giving new ways to vary up the gameplay, just like by including a de- like the demon fusion from the persona game. Like this is like really cool, and this is not like a big, big, big sprawling battlefield with always like you know enemies everywhere, like your usual Dynasty Warriors type games. This is very faithful to how you would explore a Persona Five Palace. This is just sneaking up on enemies and like you know, making sure that you're not detected because it still has like that detection meter that'll kick you out of the the, uh, the dungeon if like if you reach a hundred percent. There's not there's not like the way you would play a Muso game. Essentially, this you're playing a Persona Five game. Any other final thoughts on uh, Persona Five Strikers? Like you've mentioned several times, we uh, do have a formal review up on the site that is basically Josh's long form thoughts on this game. If you want to dive further into his write-up, yeah, I went uh, pretty in depth into it. Try to make it a very easy to read to people because I, I think it's it's weird. Like this game, unfortunately, gets the bad rap of like people see the Omega Force label and immediately dismiss. Like I don't want a Mosu game, man. Fuck that. It's like no, get definitely give this game a chance if you're a Persona Five fan, if you're a fan of like Muso games. Like you know, it's it's gonna be it's a weird high barrier of entry because it does take place after the events of Persona Five, so it does somewhat expect players to have beaten Persona Five or gotten a, a good chunk into it. Um, so that's the weird thing about it. But I think there's a lot to like here, and I think once people get their hands on it, they can decide for themselves whether it jives with them or not. I'm not gonna tell you, hey, this is the game that'll like save uh, the Muso genre or make non-believers into believers. I'm not going to say that, but I'm saying this is so far out from the usual um, pre- preconceptions of Dynasty Warriors and what people dislike about them that like it, it, would, it would be good for them to at least give it a go. There's, I know there's a, a demo of the Japanese version up on the eShop and PSN Japanese stores. Uh, if people want to like, you know, get a very, just a glimpse of uh, what it's like. I haven't played those demos myself, but you know, I think I think people would be missing out if they're already big fans of Persona Five and just like decided, hey, I don't like Dynasty Warriors games, so why would I bother with this game? I think this is it would be a a big disservice to that and to themselves. 
All right. I know that you've been speaking for a while, but I do want to hear what your thoughts on are on this next game you've got listed. It's a game that we yeah. brought up a few weeks ago when it was first announced for a surprise localization. Uh, Kowloon High School Chronicle, a visual novel slash dungeon crawler that originally released in 2004, was it? Came out just yeah. a few days ago. So tell me about this game. Yeah, just like stealthily released on the eShop just like maybe two to three days ago. And it's like, oh, that finally came out. Um, I'm very, very early into it. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not like crazy, like deep into it or anything. But um, this is a, a very neat title. And I was speaking uh, to it with a, with a friend of mine. And he says, oh, this is like the precursor to, um, to I, think it's, I think the title is Tokyo Twilight Ghost Hunters. It was like a similar type of game. A while back, like a, at least a few years ago, and that was and that was like a a spiritual follow up to this game. And I was like, oh, because this game feels so unique in the genre. And so, Kowloon High School Chronicle starts out with um, you a dungeon crawler section like a, like what you would find like in Etrian Odyssey or Persona Q or, Q or any of the experience games where you're like there's a first person perspective and you're moving title tile through this dungeon. And it, you're, it starts out like in the in Saudi Arabia, and you're uh, basically in the exploring these ruins with a, with a, with a, a colleague, and you're part of this uh, society called the Rosetta, Rosetta Society, I think, and you're tasked with kind of just like fighting these ancient artifacts for all you know right now. And right away, it's very striking because you have like this device with you, which is very comparable to oh, what was the SMT four gadget, Adam? Where um, you access stuff? Uh, I don't. I don't remember what it was called. Yeah, yeah. You have. It's kind of like that. That that R device. Yeah, I think it was called the Gauntlet. It's kind of like that. It's called. But the, this one's abbreviated to H A N T, I believe. Hunt, and uh, and that's where you kind of interface with a lot of the systems of like um, how you find out tutorials, how you there's an enemy glossary in it. It's very reminiscent of that. So you have this like interface with you that you can bring up and bring up like you know the these options but it's also a, a user interface where you can see um like your general hud and what but what makes you be able to see um the systems involved and the, the systems are you have these two modes searching mode and hunting mode or battle mode and you'll know what mode you're in but in the, in the top or in bottom right corner and it'll show like these like three tiles essentially with you. And in search mode, it's very basic of like just interfacing with like objects that you find in first person. And then sometimes you'll run into these enemy encounters in first person. And it doesn't go to like a turn-based battle or anything like that. It's like you see these enemies on the tiles uh, by you. So you have to switch into battle mode and on the fly, um, You'll have like this AP system on you, and um, you have to select a weapon from the from those tiles at the bottom right corner. So at the very beginning, you have like this um, gun, a sword, and a grenade, and you move around in battle mode, consuming AP. Uh, so like, you, I move a tile forward, it'll consume like five AP. I move another tile forward, it's like five AP. Um, and then I, I look back and it, it move like uh, looking, you know into different directions on a tile doesn't consume AP. But then you face an enemy and you select like say the gun, for example, and it'll have a reticle on the screen, like not in real time, because every time you just move someplace, it consumes like a quote unquote 
turn or your AP. So it's not battle's not moving in real time. It is like you're taking a turn and consuming AP during that turn. So you okay. select, so you select a gun and you have a reticle on screen. You highlight the enemy with that reticle, and then it'll show like you know their health bar and like and your the reticle reticle will turn red if like you're um, highlighting over the enemy. Then you press like, you know A for example, and it'll fire, and uh, that consumes like another like two AP fire, two AP and whatnot. So it's kind of like a not a real turn, not real time battle system, but uh, a first person turn based system. But you're consuming AP during that, so you have action points during your turn. And it sounds kind not exactly like, but it sounds like a good like comparison to Kowloon for a more modern game would be something like Deathmark. Maybe I, I was haven't... thinking of very very different game, but I was thinking of Valkyria Chronicles where you have turns, but within each turn I, you have to spend. Well, I meant later. like the game as a whole, like with the kind of dungeon RPG aspect of it and whatnot, and like puzzle solving. Yeah, so yeah, the, I'm just getting deep into the battle system because that's the thing that really stuck out to me. Like when I was going through the tutorial of it, because you know you're switching between the searching and hunting mode. Like you know, the searching mode is very basic early on as you're going through the tutorial. It's uh, showing you, hey, you solved this puzzle by finding this artifact or this uh, puzzle piece. You place it on this pedestal and you make sure all these statues are facing together. It'll open the door, and then in that next room. It'll show you, okay, there are these two statues um, that are misaligned. You have to um, push this that other statue to align with the other one and make sure they're facing uh, a certain way, and then a stairs will appear. And then, or not a stairs, like a, an island platform will appear. And then as you're um, moving through it, you have to jump to that platform, and then there'll be like a grappling hook like point where you can like unleash like a, a grappling hook towards it, and then walk along that grappling hook line. It's it's very basic, but you know, it's 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 a nice, you know, uh, way to spice up exploration and whatnot. So uh, as you're going through it, you learn that like, hey, you can um th- there are like puzzle elements where you uh do a little bit a little bit of alchemy. So as you uh, one of the tutorial rooms is like there's uh, like a gold lock on it. And then the the tutorial marker says hey like in a very cryptic way you have to fuse these two liquids together to like move on I, I, i'm paraphrasing but that's what it basically says so you get you get like these two liquids from the treasure chest and that's basically showing you you can like mix these two together and then splash it on the lock and then that's how you progress and whatnot so it's very you know simple but effective type of uh, dungeon exploration and whatnot and i don't know how much of the game is this dungeon exploration because after you um do that uh tutorial area on the dungeon crawler aspects that it it switches to a more uh visual novel like early aughts actually mid aughts like visual novel uh where uh i don't even know what's a good uh you know a visual novel is old or was made in a, a very like you know early area era where the backgrounds of it is uh of real screenshots so like say like you're going around the school and the background image of it is like um an actual like you know hallway in Japan yeah and then you mean like are, a photograph it's a it's a photograph it's like a blurry photograph of it uh, oh. almost mm. yeah but it's like a blurry photograph as used as a background and then it's drawn over it for the characters or there's like this like weird one where 
there's this character on like a medical bed after you were rescued early on and like it's a it's a blurry screenshot of like medical devices in the background but then it's drawn over it with like a stylized art style like iv drip and this character on the on the medical bed it's very it's been a long time since i've played a visual novel that like adopted this art style because a lot of early visual novels around that turn of the millennium era did this and whatnot and this i don't know if it's i don't think it's fully voiced but it switches to that um visual novel aspect and uh things happen at the end of the tutorial you get rescued by the these representatives of the rosetta society and then they give you basically a mission like hey you have to infiltrate this high school in japan because we think there is some there's some weird shit going on around so, uh, concerning like ancient artifacts and whatnot, and where I'm at right now is you basically get introduced to like the some of the characters in this school. Who I imagine will play uh, uh, a role earlier on, and as you're going throughout the school, you see like a layout of the the school as you're moving around. It's almost reminiscent of like the very first Sakura Wars game, and like the overview of that, and like these two little markers moving around each like room as like you're getting giving the school tour. tour. And I think one of the cooler aspects about this game is there are sections during um, these visual novel sections where you'll be asked to like um, respond with an emotion. And how this interface works is it'll give you like this cross um, like icon, and then at each branch of the cross is like an emotion and the severity of it. So like at the top of that cross, it's like joy. And then love, the left is like somber. I want to be honest and say I'm kind of lost. Okay, so say say a character says, um, uh, like they they say something about like, oh, um, I really uh, like books. Well, like you know, what do, what do you think? And then this after after they say that, your this cross will appear on the screen, and you choose an emotion. Uh, like one out of like eight <laughs> one i'm like doing math in my head one like one out of eight emotions so like you'll you, this cross will appear on screen and then you, at the top end of that it's like joy or love at the bottom's like um anger or hatred but and why like, is it a cross this is the this is the way that so you can choose them easily like it's like a branch oh, okay yeah okay yeah so like say if i wanted to just uh choose joy you know i just would tap up if I had to choose love, I hold up. Or, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And or you could choose not to respond at all and just like just let it run, time run out, and whatnot. And I don't know exactly what this affects right now. Like you hear a little jingle, if like if you I don't know if you respond correctly, but there are definitely times where I respond like with joy, and it's like then 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 or it's not like the soccer awards noise. I just made the soccer awards noise unconsciously, but. It, it it has a little jingle like that, but I don't know what that actually affects early or later on, or if it affects anything. But the it's just basically people you're responding with emotion, and people will be will respond back like, "Oh, like you you really like that, cool," or um, "Oh, uh, I don't know why you're so pissed at that." If you responded like anger or something, so it's it's kind of neat because uh, like the way I don't know how they do it in Japan. Uh, I mean, it, I'm much. It's probably much more simple in Japanese, but how they do it in the English version is like they kind of stylize the each letter of it to like kind of overlay onto each other. Like joy is like J O Y, kind of on top of each other, but it's very okay. 
yeah so you kind of so it's not immediately obvious right away of like what emotion you're looking at until like you take a good look at it it's like okay that i'm choosing love yes so you kind of have to like um you have to be kind of on your toes because obviously time because you can you can choose not to respond at all and you have like maybe five to seven seconds to respond and and you have to kind of respond not accordingly but the, the way that you want to so it's kind of you have to kind of like suss out like what emotion am i actually choosing so here. Is, is it like the toyota logo where it's all the letters overlaid on top of each other kind of almost like it's not it's not like directly on top of each other but it's like j-o-y but like very squished together almost on top of each other. very design or yeah. decision it's such a weird it's like a such a weird thing um and also when you're designing your character in this game after you get saved <clears throat> the the way they introduce like your character sheet um it's kind of like um almost like a school application almost like they actually have like a like a portfolio of you and like you're you're selecting oh what's your name what's your height what's your weight what's your blood type um what's your favorite uh um japanese school club it has like all these options from like you know the athletics club the gym club the go home club the karate club and i don't know what the hell that affects so i'm just like oh go home club i love i like going home um and and like a skill that you're good at and like there's all these attributes like mathematics uh, astronomy um or uh, uh firearms or uh, not firearms archery um and whatnot and it just it, it looks cool i don't know what the hell it affects but there's definitely like character traits and attributes and some sort of character progression in this game and i guess i guess later on you'll get like party members that you can be grouped with up with in dungeons that like you don't you don't like um directly control them but like you can use character skills when they're with you and whatnot it's a very bizarre game i i don't know what to make heads or tails about it yet it has a very eerie vibe um to it which is it's kind of cool there's like a, there's a kind of like a morbid kind of morbid things happening behind the scenes even though it's kind of like cheerful on the surface i don't know it's it's such a it's such a weird game i don't know what to make of it yet i'm so early on i'd be interested to see like what james's or adam's opinions on it would be for both like the visual novel or the dungeon crawly aspects of this game thanks brian i, I want to play it it's well, just like, like too many games to, yeah, to collaborate know. with yours is what i meant yeah <laughs> I'm I'm trying. Trying. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's, it's like yeah it's it's a it's a busy season. A lot of a lot of games. We're all gonna be too busy in uh Bravely Default two in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. Or Persona Five Strikers. Any other final thoughts on uh Kowloon High School Chronicle? Um I'll I'll keep on playing through it and keep on plucking away at it. Um that's all I have uh, for now. Awesome. One of those like kind of those one of those little surprises that you know no one was expecting. If it, you know, I, if yeah, people I, play through it I and really, really dive with it, go ahead. Yeah, I really dig the presentation. But there's after after a certain point after the tutorial, and you do like your character stuff. Like it comes up to this like like this like almost anime opening type of deal, where it's introducing the game with like flashy visuals and like the title card and whatnot. And it's very you can tell it's very reminiscent of like the cowboy bebop opening in the way it presents. Mm. It's really funny. <laughs> Took some inspiration, maybe. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
And before we go on to like our topic section, which 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 will, which will be shorter this week, there's not at too many things. Uh, there is one more feature on the website that I want to shout out. This is something that James wrote up about why he hates what he can't. Right, let me let me start over. I hate that I can't talk about why I love Labyrinth of Galleria. So if you've been listening to this podcast, James obviously played through this game about two months back, three months back, and spoke two about it. About, yeah. Well, more like, yeah, two, one and a half months, something Quite like last that. last year. Um, and he spoke about it a few times. Uh, obviously, this uh, is following up from Labyrinth of Refrain, Coven of Dusk, which a couple people on staff have thought very highly of, and it seems like that carries through to this follow-up. But a lot of it is tied into very particular narrative stylings and basically spoiler, you know, well, it's not even just narrative stuff, but to, to really get into the details would be to spoil it. And that's why I was writing this. Cause it's like, I really wanted to do a review for this, but it's one of those games where so much of the actual, like, later game experience they didn't really showcase and there's a reason for that and if i went into details about what's like waiting for people that kind of spoils it when it's clear that part of uh what really resonated with me in the game was not knowing that these certain things were coming and being surprised by them so basically it's the sort of game where you do not want to read any sort of review until after you've played it is that is that kind of the right way to think about it yeah. So we've got that feature on the site for just like a particular take on a very interesting game. We still don't have a any sort of official localization info for that, do we? Anything? Nope. I, I didn't we know don't technically have anything, but we do have like some people may or may not be affiliated with NIS America saying expect 2022. Hmm. So basically nothing, nothing through official channels. All we know is that it didn't really sell very well in Japan. Well, I yep. guess we will st- we will stay on top of it if something more uh, concrete comes out, because it sounds like it's definitely worth you know finding you know or getting a hold of if it manages to come over. Yep. All right, George, are you awake? I'm still here. Right. You are. I was enjoying. Oh, <laughs> uh, what do you think about Kingdom Hearts? I it's it's okay. I don't know. Oh, oh freeze. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think my opinion lines up with yours. It's fine. It's all right. <laughs> All right, so yeah, Kingdom Hearts will be launching on PC on March thirtieth. Yeah, and this is everything. This is uh, HD one and a half or one point five plus two point five remix, two point eight final chapter prologue, Kingdom Hearts three plus Remind, and then Melody of Memory. Even all of these are coming on PC March thirtieth via the Epic Games Store. So Uh, lots of different. But but what? It's very expensive. Yeah, for what so they yeah. are like, I love Kingdom Hearts. I don't even need to say that. That's a that's a stupid opener, but that, this is ridiculous. Come on, like sixty pounds for is it one point five and two point five together? I think one point five, two point five was forty dollars, but the rest are sixty dollars. It's actually just... kind of um, it's actually kind of amazing because in terms of like how much you're getting, one point five plus two point five is quite a bit more than two point eight, but it's cheaper. And it's like yeah. older, but still. I could see maybe saying $40 for that first pack would be worth it. Cause that's like more than half the series, really. But then like $60 for 2.8, which is like very short and not a lot there. And it's not great. 
It's basically a the prologue, which is only a few hours, a movie of the Kingdom Hearts key back cover stuff, and then a uh, Dream Drop Distance. I guess you're paying a, you're paying a premium for that. <laughs> whereas the first, whereas the first bundle, if you if you don't follow Kingdom Hearts, you might be confused by all these bundles. But they always lay them out to try to help you. But the first bundle has one and two plus Birth by Sleep plus Chain of Memory, so it's like four games for less money. <laughs> And then two cutscene packs. And then and, yeah, and then two cutscene packs. The, the thing oh. is, I would, I would love to say that these games are worth it, uh, and obviously I think they are. But there's just cheaper ways to play this, guys. Like, I know that the modding scene is going to be really cool. Like, I'm sure the randomizers are going to be Playable maybe totally, like, oh yeah, like like mods like that. They'll be really cool, I'm sure. But I also, I don't know. The money I've spent on the Kingdom Hearts series is like probably more than all of this combined, but I still. This is, yeah, this is so weird because you can get what like some bundle of like of the Kingdom Hearts games like twenty five bucks on the PSN. Yeah, right? it's the complete I'm... thing, right? Except maybe Remind. There's like the story so far that has like pretty much everything. If they did the story so far and Melody of Memory, uh, maybe even that that I'd get that if it was like sixty dollars each for those two. I'd, I'd kind of understand that, but it's just. Separating no, it even not, more just makes me point eight isn't worth it at all. Gotta say. So, this, so if if I remember right, story so far was everything leading up to Kingdom Hearts three, but now they've got the all in one package. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. yeah, which is right. which and that is, doesn't uh, include Remind, right? No, Remind's expensive as well. It doesn't include Remind, and it doesn't include Melody of Memory for what it's worth. But still, twenty five bucks versus forty plus sixty plus sixty minus Remind, <laughs> like quite a big difference. Just- this is ridiculous, and you, and you know what the the the, the shitty part is? Like the, the Square Enix took up this deal to get um, money out of Epic. Plus, they know people are going to pay for this full price. Oh yeah, no I'm so maybe I'm off base here, but like the fact that this is an Epic exclusivity deal with Square Enix feels kind of weird to me. Like, is that like the biggest publisher to do an Epic exclusivity deal? Mm, uh, no, like, uh, uh, I Interactive Hitman Three. Oh, Hitman. Like, I was thinking, like, there was Outer Worlds for a bit, but that was, like, Private Division, so that was smaller scale. There's some, like, the Metro games and a few things like that, and Hades, but that's, like, an indie developer. So I was wondering, like, what are the, what, what, what big companies are taking Epic exclusivity deals? Like, I guess Square Enix I, I, did. I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess not, not on the scale of, uh, of Square Enix, from what I can recall. Like, I sort of understand, like, if you're a smaller developer and you like you if some if Epic is literally going to give you a significant amount of money so you can you know have a better game or a better working situation, yeah, I understand it. But it's like yeah, Square Enix releases all- so much stuff on like Steam and elsewhere. It just feels kind of weirder in this case. Am I, I, mean, I guess my opinion is my opinion is basically like Epic likes to give this. Uh, kind of altruistic we're doing it for the little guys we're doing it to give them a, a minimum number of purchase copies so that they're guaranteed to be in the black i mean i almost feel like it'd be refreshing if they just said yeah you know we're making this is good for business that's why we're doing this we want people to download our store and people will do that to play, to play kingdom hearts and be like all right like i would i would appreciate that hypothetical honesty because i will say when this was announced even though i've played these games i i, I have thought about like hmm, maybe i would play these on pc like and there is no official confirmation about the the status of like timed exclusive, how long people they have haven't really mentioned the exclusivity yeah, people, at all. Yeah, people so. have speculated or try to look at trends, or it's probably a year because that's what most of them are. But you know, 
a few games have been way shorter than that in terms of what store they're exclusive on and and nothing's concrete but yeah no no one really knows whether this time they're permanent or not like it's just but, but, but no two years i'd be like did you know mars come out on steam yet i don't know go check yeah. oh yeah. it's permanent so yeah, I could, it's, uh, I could easily see myself dropping forty dollars for the first pack just to be like, all right, I want to, I want to crank this up, see, uh, see what it looks like at a really high resolution and a really high frame rate, and maybe mess with the mod scene if that kicks off. Uh, like I don't, I don't really mind like it be on a different storefront. It's more so that it, it sucks because like the the Epic Game storefront is still not at like a great level and. There's like no great quality of life inconveniences uh, to it, unlike Steam, where you have like automatic cloud save backups, and you don't have universal controller support, unlike Steam. So not every uh, yeah, not every game has cloud saves. Not every game has achievements, and the games that do have achievements, there's no easy way to even see them. Like mm-hmm. through the launcher, it's really really rough. And it's yeah, one of those yeah, things yeah. where like you might think in like in the moment, like I don't need any of that. Like I just want the game to play. But then like I'm playing the Yakuza games on the Windows Store, uh, and similar thing where I'm like, hey, if I delete these games, are my saves backed up? I have no idea. Like on Steam, I don't have to consciously think about. Well, it. here's just... the thing about that. On paper, they have they should have cloud saves because it's Xbox Live and all that. The problem is, is that when I played Outer Worlds on my desktop it would not properly back up my save, but it would back it up on my laptop. So you're running into Windows 10 shenanigans where it's basically held together by duct tape. Well, also, I, I, didn't, I, I, sorry, I didn't mean the specific, uh, about the Xbox thing. I didn't mean like that specific example. I just mean like, I'm just using that as like a launch pad for saying like in general, uh, you might think going in like, oh, I don't need it. Like the game still runs on my computer. I'm just clicking a different icon. But then you start thinking about these other things like, oh, do I have to consider this now? Do I have to like put mental energy into thinking about my cloud save or even about mods? We talked about the modding scene, but oh, I guess Steam Workshop's yeah. a picture, stuff like that. When I want to play through uh, Final Fantasy 7 through 9, I'll probably play them on PC. And it's like, it's like, oh, I can play them on Game Pass. But if I want to get the retranslation mod for Final Fantasy 7, because the official one is still like kind of rough that uh, how would i get that working on game on the game pass version is it even possible to get it working stuff like that anyway yeah, you, you just have to cross your fingers that developers will just have native controller support as well unlike steam where you don't have to think about it you, like when i got tony hawk pro skater one and two last year i was like oh do i have to do they can support controllers off the bat i don't know I don't know. And thankfully they did, I think. Yeah. But. It's kind of a, on a similar topic. I've been, like I said, I've been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which I've been playing it on PC. It's not on Steam. I'm playing it through Ubisoft's, uh, it's called Ubisoft Connect now. And these are like sort of things you kind of take for granted with Steam. Ubisoft Connect, I've learned, does not play well with like sleep mode on Windows. I had like weird bugs where if I woke my computer from sleep, like I would be in the Ubisoft Connect like application, but I wasn't logged in, but I could still launch my game while not logged in. And then separate from that, it had sometimes just had random issues like we cannot synchronize your saves or we cannot synchronize your achievements. And it was just like weird stuff where I had to I found myself just closing the app and reopening it. And it's just like I'm not saying that never happens with Steam, but it just kind of felt like I kind of I'm kind of glad Steam just sort of works most of the time. Yeah, and, and also for okay. me, like whenever I run into any like troubleshooting issues on Steam for a game, 
I just go to their like of like forum on Steam, and usually people have answers very easy to find off the bat. And for a lot of these other places, other storefronts, they don't have like dated dedicated forums, uh, like you know, for a specific game that like you have to go kind of like go around does, the internet and Google a little bit and be like, does Epic oh, still not have forums? I don't know, dude. I don't think so. They don't. And some yeah, I think it's like, funny when like Steam paid forums for like I'll Epic never games. forget when uh, Hades was first like unveiled as an Epic exclusive for the early access period and they said we are going to Epic because it is the perfect place for our early access game where we have to have a link to a Discord because there's no native integration for discussions and feedback. And the argument people use for the forums is like oh they're cesspit or whatever we don't need them. But like Here's something that was relevant to what I was just talking about. Yakuza three and four, based on the uh, localization, had to had to walk around some uh, licensing issues for music. And if I go to the Steam forums and search, there's like patches and updates that fans have put to put the original music back in. Uh, I like how even if they don't integrate with the Steam Workshop, and I can do them on my Windows versions, I still gotta like go to the steam forum search for these updates like oh here you know here's the you know put you you know here's the steps for how to replace the original music back into the games if i even can on the on the windows version like and there's you know people that have install issues or bugs or crashing usually those are the best place you know yeah maybe you'll have to sift through some opinions but just use a search feature for this your specific issue and you can almost always find people who have already troubleshooted it for you it's i think that they're useful personally incredible yeah i really so yeah, it's just it's a weird thing, but I would like to see Kingdom Hearts on Steam. Yeah, hopefully that these niggling issues with how receptive you are to using the Epic Launcher, whether you don't care at all, or care a little, or care a lot. Hopefully that's the extent, and we don't have like issues with the ports themselves being like subpar. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't even mind like you know supporting like people who went to, who took the Epic deal to go through the store exclusive, like I. Like I really like Tony Hawk Pro Skater, so I was like, "Oh, this is a really good one of those." So I, that's like the first game I actually went and go uh, went and installed the Epic Games launcher because I really, really, you know, wanted to support Vicarious Visions on like you know a damn good re-release of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater One and Two, and I'll yep. probably do it for Axiom Verge too as well because I really like the developer of that game. I really like Axiom, the first Axiom Verge, and you know, it's like you know, indie developer, very small, and you can see why, very clear why, you know, he, uh, he would take the you know epic uh deal and whatnot and like sure i'll support that developer like i don't really i don't i don't mind it just, i feel it's the just same way weird with the it's square not that i mind though. the epic game store like i'd prefer to pl- to buy a game on steam just because of all the amenities and whatnot uh i i think i well i have been on record saying that the only like exclusivity deal that really pissed me off was the deal with samurai showdown and that's just because oh, yeah. of the way they said oh we are not going to have exclusivity just kidding. We are having exclusivity, and I don't, <laughs> and I don't think it's actually been put on Steam yet, even though it's been what over a year. Well, it's uh, definitely one of the black marks on SNK's record right now. Yeah, I like to think that my even issues is overstating it, but I, I for me, it's all about brass tacks. What do you get? And what do you give up here? And less like of a philosophy thing. Some people like philosophically won't install Steam or not Steam Epic. And I'm like, ah, I don't really care about that. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking about like how will this actually affect me playing this game? Whether it's replacing, you know, music changes or cloud saves or whatever. And the, to me, those are not you know issues I can just brush aside. Those are things that are important to me. But for Kingdom Hearts, I I, I will probably play the. I will probably get that first uh, 1.5 and 2.5. Uh, 
combo pack, even if it is paying a bit of a premium for it. And that's not I, an epic if, thing. That's like it's that price on Xbox as well. Uh, so, if but, I was going to go for one game, uh, I think it'd be Kingdom Hearts Three, just because I think, like you said, like playable Kyrie stuff like that. The modding possibilities there are really really cool. That's just me. Yeah, and, I mean, and it's on a real engine, one which hopefully means it'll translate to PC pretty well. And that's probably like where the business relationship between Square and Epic Games began originally. I think one of the producers mentioned something on that. Adam, they mentioned the the demo, the the two point eight or the zero point two demo was where they that was the first Unreal Engine stuff. Right. I'm just saying that if if the modding community doesn't allow for a playable Donald Duck to and select Zeta player as like a, a a thing you can cast in battle, then what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, someone has to do that. Just Zeta Flare is just like. One hit KO. One of the magics of PC ports is that I once there's going to be somebody that makes a mod for Kingdom Hearts three. That as soon as Donald uh, casts Zeta Flare, it just uninstalls the game. <laughs> I want to I want to cast Zeta Flare on Sephiroth. Whether that means you backport Zeta Flare into the older games or put Sephiroth in three, I want I want to see that. Or how, how about both? Well, I guess I guess the moving forward, you know, like. What does this actually mean? Like, the, the, like you know, with this exclusivity deal between Square Enix and Epic, does this mean FF7 remake when it comes to PC? Is that an Epic Game Store? Well, exclusive? people were expecting some sort of announcement on those lines from the concert that was literally yesterday. Uh, long story short, it didn't happen. But I still think that uh, maybe maybe once we get to the April time frame or that year, uh, I don't know, passes from the original launch, maybe we'll see that. At this point, I don't, I don't think anyone should be surprised if it is. Yeah, uh, same mm-hmm. same here. Like you know, especially like you know, even with FF16 and Project Altia, you know, could potentially be Epic Store exclusives, whether they're timed or permanent. It is kind of interesting though, oh, yeah. because also this week, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but like Final Fantasy XII just went to Game Pass, so it's not like Square Enix has shut the door to working with Microsoft, but it's kind of like though there is some weird stuff about that where it was only so. For Game Pass in Japan, it was only up for one day. It's already been taken down for Japanese players. Why? Mm. I I don't know. It's a weird exception. Like I guess we'll put it on Game Pass for for you Westerners. I don't know <laughs> for you guys who are that's, playing it in English. One day. I wonder what happens if you like downloaded it. Probably means you can't use it. Yeah, so, I imagine. I imagine you can't get dug. What happens you to might be able to continue playing it if you just um, change your Microsoft account to a Western one, because oh. you can change the region pretty easily. Okay, so what happens? Let's say if you're playing a game and you're in the middle of the game uh, and you're playing it, and this and that game gets t- taken off Game Pass while you're in the middle of playing that game. What happens? That is a great. Question. I don't know. Because oh, clearly, clearly, if you close the app, you wouldn't. Oh, the future we live in. There's like an intrusive like message as you're playing. It's like, oh, this game is taking down a game pass, abort game, and that's the only option. Yeah, you have, you have 60 seconds and a countdown clock appears or whatever. Oh, shit. I would love that. <laughs> I am never quitting you, Final Fantasy XII. You'll be running in the background forever. <laughs> I, I I had that uh, you know similar conundrum when I had uh, Fantasy Star Online too, and it was like on the Windows 10 storefront. It's like I don't want to quit this game because it might like Eat do bad shit. Yeah. <laughs> just I, I'm not sure if I if I try and start this again, if it'll just uninstall itself. 
Maybe it's the best way to go. Maybe it's telling you something. <laughs> All right. Kingdom Hearts on PC. End of March. We will reconvene then, I suppose. See how it turns out. We got some news on the Kickstarted game that is a spiritual successor to Suikoden. Eden Chronicle. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Aiden. And publisher, Aiden. Aiden Chronicle has a publisher now. It will be published by 505 Games, and they release a short little trailer uh, basically making this uh, partnership announcement. Fear. So I, why do you say that? 505 Games does not have a great track record when it comes to uh, Kickstarters, or in general. So, fear. Hmm. Yeah, that, 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 like, yeah. 505 Games is okay with like stuff like Death Stranding that didn't have a Kickstarter and like a relatively smooth launch on pc like there wasn't like any like like crazy significant well, 505 are also the ones behind the asinine control ultimate edition yeah. like yeah so so yeah 505 games is it's they don't have a great track record yeah okay so let's kind of go back down uh, besides that stranding for 505 games like you know they've had and indivisible the whole, yeah okay the whole control issue uh, was it continues to be weird where the initially like the the first like warning signs was hey um if you want to play uh control on next gen consoles that have like a native next gen experience on them you can't do it with a vanilla version of control you have to do it with control ultimate edition which was like a, you know a re-release of control but with all the dlcs and whatnot with it and that that edition is only give you the one who would that would natively run or run the native versions of the next gen consoles it's like okay, there's not a they didn't like there's not a real great reason for that, but they're like okay, and then people got Control Ultimate uh, Edition, but then they like then they announced like they delayed the version of that uh, of next gen consoles on that, so they deleted that release, and then it wasn't until like January, just even a few weeks ago, where there's like oh we're gonna re release Control Ultimate Edition for free for PS Plus subscribers for like the the monthly games so that leaves people who bought control ultimate edition in hopes to play it under next gen uh machines like what the fuck why did we buy this then if you're just gonna make it a, a free game on ps plus so that was that's already a shitstorm. um there are other issues with 505 games um indivisible is a weird one indivisible is one where there was a, a big pipeline of like future content to come into that game and then you know lab zero i wouldn't necessarily say that the indivisible yeah, thing it, is 505's fault it's not 505 games fault, but it, they, they, you know they're attached to that project i don't know what happened to the physical goods of that um there was the weird thing with indivisible where was this 505 games where the switch version released just oh, yeah, randomly. that was probably five hundred five. Actually, yeah, it, it just released randomly, no announcement or anything. It was just like, hey, it's it's out. And, and Lab Zero at the time Zero. said, hey, we yeah. didn't okay this. Yeah, they did. They were like, we had no idea it was going to and release, was, and that's and just it was like missing uh, some of the updated yeah. features. And, and right? right for all the Lab Zero drama, we know where Mike Zymot kind of you know went off the rails on you know whatever happened there at the. I got Lab Zero shut down. There's a whole I, story. I'm pretty sure the thing with Mike Z isn't that he went off the rails so much as people finally realized that, no, he he's always been off the rails. Yes, yeah. Thank you for the aggression, but yes, he's always been off the rails. Um, but yeah, but that 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 premature Switch release was definitely probably on 505 Games' end. They were also behind the wonderful 101 Kickstarter, right, James? Uh, no, they were not. Oh, okay, that's a different public. 
Uh, that was, I believe, oh, fuck, was that ever indie? They, they, the company involved was the one that had the kind of controversy. They published uh, Bug Fables on PC. They did uh, Dongan. Dongan, that's it. Oh, um, and yeah. they were like removed. The information about them was removed last minute, so maybe they weren't involved. There, the wonderful one one Kickstarter was a mess. Kickstarter but from what I understand, that was that was mostly platinum. That was that was the problem because like I know the real reason why I wasn't able to exchange my uh, copy on PC for a sw Switch copy, which I've gone over it before. It was bullshit. They advertised the PC version with a case saying PC DVD, and they said, "Oh, it's a it's a Steam copy." And it's like, yes, but you can still have Steam copies that install through the disc. That's not a good excuse. Um, that was my. How about uh, was five hundred five games Shenmue three? That was Deep Silver. No, I think I think you're thinking Bloodstained was the other thing they did. Bloodstained, yes. Now the, I don't, the Bloodstained Stain turned out well. Bloodstained turned out well. Yeah. yeah. Except the version, though, that was just a development issue. I don't think that was necessarily five hundred five. So five hundred five games, like you know, like they did have like they some past weird problematic stuff with how how several things we listed were treated, but. You know, they did okay with Dead Stranding. And yeah, Dead Stranding was good. Yeah. So there's not like an automatic like, oh, fuck, but definitely one's, one to keep out of because this is such a promising project um, in the works that you would you would hope and pray that like their involvement doesn't mess up something weird down the, down the line when it gets re released years and years later from now. Yeah, it's we'll currently slated uh, 2022, but you know, at this point, it's just kind of like I don't put a ton of stock of that either. Just it's 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 far out. Yeah. Just yesterday, we got a new trailer for near replicant version 1.2, etc. And this is uh, about 10 minutes of gameplay, which we can actually glean a lot from because it's the first time we're getting an extended look at the at the updated art style. We can listen to. The what they've done to the soundtrack. More on that later. Um, we can uh, hear about some of the new English voice acting, which has been reworked seemingly. So there's a lot we can glean from this ten minutes. Uh, it's the Baron. What is it? What is the temple called? The Baron Temple. It's the Baron Temple. <laughs> so unfortunately, I'm not the best person to talk about this because I have not played the original, even though I'm interested in playing this remaster. So I will turn it over to, uh, I guess, Josh or Adam to fight over what you think about what you saw about. I mean, it, it was a, it was a nice confirmation. Yeah, it was a nice confirmation that you know the uh, English voice cast from the original English release is coming back. Laura Bailey as Kaine, Liam Neeson as Grimoire Weiss, which is our. You mean Liam O'Brien? Liam O'Brien, sorry, I <laughs> we'll keep that in. Liam Neeson, Weiss would be something. That'd be fucking awesome, actually. You know what? <laughs> Um, yeah, Liam O'Brien has like, more wise, which is, you know, one of his best performances, uh, hands down. So it's really nice to have them back on board. I think, uh, it since it sounds like people are saying Zach Aguilar, uh, is, uh, brother, young brother near, um, Not he did, has he done a lot like of, him. has he done a lot of, uh, game roles? I know he's Byleth, but Byleth doesn't talk a lot. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's done some anime stuff. Oh, Campanella. Okay. But it's a different voice. <laughs> So. Yeah, I think I I forgot. Does, does he do the English voice for like Tanjiro and Demon Slayer? I think people he does. Saying. Okay, so that's probably... it's sort of it's sort of a similar character. It's like I am brother must protect sister sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was 
I've been ignoring all the uh, near replicant stuff because I know if they're well, I'm pretty sure everyone expects there to be like some like wacky. Oh, it's not just the remaster; it's got more to it, and you're never yeah. going to actually showcase that because like it's like everyone knows it's probably going to happen, but of course they're never going to outright say it in the in the marketing, but. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I, I'm I'm ex- I'm still I'm still like almost for the memes. Admittedly, I'm still expecting like new game plus. Now you can play as Papa Nier or something like that. Oh man, that'd be crazy. Uh, other than that, people are written, uh see. You know, there's a lot of like uh, comparisons to like the the original cutscene, how it was presented versus this new one. Obviously, this one uh, has like a much more brighter color template, much more clarity. Uh, obviously. You know the, the graphical fidelity is much 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 higher than the original one and also i think one of the funny ones that people pointed out is like there are some uh alterations to the script where like kind of especially specifically Heine, like she swears more in this version which is really funny like yeah. i have first how do they turn it. her up yeah it's like oh, okay there's gonna it's like oh people people usually are like oh man they can't believe they're not being faithful to the original me meanwhile this is like falling upwards of like oh she swears more hell yeah People, One thing I also thought was kind of funny is uh, one of Nier's lines in the original is like, where do bastards come from? And he just sort of says bastards like casually there. Um, and, and I think in the new version, it's like, where do you come from, you bastards? And it's just kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's kind of, it's like, I, I, I kind of like the original. He's just like, where do you bastards come from? He just throws it out there. But yeah, they just changed some of the lines. And, you know, one thing I'm kind of, okay, so they're, they're changing some of the lines. and I, They might be revoicing the entire thing. You know, because the the original game actually had like it wasn't fully voiced. There was not a lot of it was like voiced cutscenes, but a lot of the other dialogue was not. I believe it's going to be basically fully voiced now. But I wonder, like lines like Kaine's uh, infamous, not infamous, but like that well-known line when she's swearing at Vice. Like, I wonder if they're going to redo that or keep the old one. The old one's kind of iconic. It's the opening of the game. Like if I if I click a new game and within three seconds she's not saying Weiss you asshole or dumbass uh, or dumbass sorry uh, then what the fuck are we doing? Well, well apparently <laughs> near uh, which is it Gestalt which is the one that was the uh, apparently Gestalt near Jap- what Gestalt is Papa near Replicant is brother near yeah okay so what I wanted to say was apparently in Replicant in the Japanese original that that's not the opening so it kind of depends like do they want to keep that opening for this game for the america for the people that played gestalt or do they want to be more faithful to the original replicant or is it gonna be something different i've understood that it's kind of like no one really knows for certain how they'll open it up they're, they're, they're also released like uh soundtrack samples of like uh, some of the tracks like snow and summer and kine i have these had this another version or another edition i don't know if these are the ones that, are, that will play in the game or not I'm I've heard a lot of people aren't high on how the new rework tracks sound. I don't know if I, you guys are as passionate, feel as passionately about that. I mean, they're I, different. Yeah, they're different. They're it's hard to say out of context, like how the they would play in context, depending on how this game portrays uh, you know certain scenes when they when they play. Um, I don't have too big of a. They're not as egregious as like say the Demon Souls 2020 problem of like. Them just totally reworking it to something that like you can't even recognize at all. Like they're they're still like they're more orchestrated. Obviously, I don't know how how I feel yet about. I really need to play the game to uh, 
see where it is at. I think I think the fun one that they released the uh, the soundtrack sample of the of this bonus track that's in the collector's edition. It's like remixes of like tracks in the game. They're not going to play in the game, but it's like alternate remix takes of like other artists on them uh, mm-hmm. are really fun. Like there's like like a a metal version of like um what was it? I forgot which uh, which song it was. There's some really fun ones in that video. People are also doing some side-by-side comparisons about how the characters look, especially uh, younger Nier and Kaine. And certain people say that the new ones aren't as faithful, though I guess I don't really have an opinion on that because I haven't really played it. It might just be people not being used to the, the updated looks. I mean, the old... I mean, being honest, the old... The original visuals from Nier are kind of... They're not... Like, the art style is good, but some of just, like, the actual, like, model quality isn't just the, like, great. <laughs> Right, so it's like they're kind of muddy, kind of clunky. I don't know. Some they're, people are they're, like, near looks it, like 9S now, or whatever. That, that, that's that's a weird one. I mean, brother near looks like it, it to me. He looks fine. I think the, the unfortunate one because of the footage and scene that they chose to highlight in this one is Kaine because Kaine has some like weird angles uh, when she's about to go um, ape, ape shit on the boss that uh, was showcased in this um, gameplay. So like they're they're taking like stills of like all weird angles that like kind of oh the, the usual it. take us take us a, a still shot of it and be like oh this is yeah. awful when it's like in motion or something it's like uh, yeah okay, uh, yeah so it's hard, it's hard to really say for sure whether it's like quote unquote better or quote unquote worse on that that uh, but you know I, I, overall I I like the footage I really liked what they showed off obviously the combat is way less stiff way less stilted like. Uh, unlike the original, like the original is fine, but like it's definitely clunky, and this one uh, just de- definitely flows better and moves better. It looks like uh, very similar to Automata, but not, like, but it's not. It's not like uh, it, it's, it doesn't make like Brother Near look like an android, like sliding across the ground. It's still it's still there's still definitely like a, a certain weight to him. I don't know if you guys can glean this from the footage, but is there anything you can really see about the combat? Really. Um, the combat's sort of hard to judge without actually yeah. playing it. I mean, it looks a lot smoother. Yeah, like there's definitely a lot more uh, like you know, particle visual effects going on in combat. It's a lot, it's a lot more flashy for sure. But like in terms of like actual mechanics, like no, like Remor Weiss has always been able to do all that stuff, and like and all the moves like aren't like crazy different. Just the the way movement works. It looks, you know, lot smoother. I'm definitely interested in playing this. For sure. Like, so I'm one of those people that I liked the original Nier, but I never really fully dealt with the gameplay, which is not a very uncommon take. So I kind of want to see like how I take to the game as a whole, if it just like is a nicer playing experience. So... I, I think the one of the weird niche things I'm I'm interested in is you can still quote unquote cheat at the moonflower quest in this game. And the, and the original, um, there's this moonflower that you had to like raise in it, and um, it took a lot of days. I think it like took maybe two full weeks, I want to say, to fully complete this quest. In the oh right, I remember the flower. Yeah, and then because you had to wait for this flower to grow and like tend to it. And, and like you have to, you have to be in the. I think you have to stay in the game 
for it to actually like make progress in it. It's not like a background timer type of deal. But um, but you can cheat at it by just changing your system time and date to automatically make it grow like instantly and whatnot. So I don't if they I wonder if they kept that in or you have to legit do it properly now, no questions asked. Well, it was kind of cool to finally see some footage of this because it's coming out in April and it was like announced and then we had a few other follow-ups, but not a whole lot to go off of. So this was kind of our first look at all those aspects and voiceover, combat, music, uh, graphics, all that stuff. So I don't know if yeah, that means the marketing will ramp up and we'll see more and more uh, as we approach. I assume so. Yeah, I mean, it's two months out, so they, they have to. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that's it for real big news. We have a few other little bit pieces to uh, talk about. Uh, Trials of Mana just was announced from Square Enix that it has surpassed 1 million copies in physical shipments and digital sales. So basically, I think that seems like a really strong showing for a somewhat niche series of a remake kind of, of a game that it. not many people yeah. played. Awesome game. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool like remake of that game. I just, I'm kind of surprised it reached the 1 million mark. I'd, I wouldn't th- think it would for some reason. I was like, oh, you know, uh, to me, it's still like a niche series, which is, it is, but seeing it be a million seller, really? Wow. It's That's cool crazy. that we're at a place that even these like niche games can can reach the million mark. That just means like, you know, they're, they're hopefully, hopefully Square Enix like, you know, gives that team, you know, uh, the budget that it needs to like continue like, making these cool remakes of the Mana games. I, it's, I'm, I know some people have been saying like they want to see a remake of Legend of Mana, which Legend of Mana is a really cool and interesting game in my opinion. But I'm also just like, how about we get like a brand new Mana game? It's been long enough. So I don't know. But are they interested in making a new Mana game or are like something that'll just for sure fire sell? Didn't know. they remake one that was like really, really bad? Well, like Secret, Secret of Mana wasn't. Yeah, very I heard about that. Yeah. Well, Secret of Mana is a good game, but the remake wasn't good. Wasn't that generally that? I would argue it's not actually a good game. (laughs) It's a well-loved game. For uh, yeah, I won't get into it. Yeah, that's a. What are the biggest travesties? uh, I feel weird for saying this, but the main reason why I want to play the Trials of Mana remake is I've heard people say that the boss fights in it are basically feel like Trials in Final Fantasy (laughs) fourteen. With the way that the uh, like. Um, damage marker like AOE markers and whatnot pop up. At least you can experience it like with like a good difficulty now since they added like a harder difficulty in that game, which it really, it's sorely needed. Oh yeah, that yeah. game is way too easy. Like something you don't even think about. Yeah, but I, I, love, I was coming to this when you were talking about the Secret of Mana re-release. Just the remake OST of that game, man. Fucking oh, I still get mad at it. <laughs> Hate it. Ugh. So that game obviously didn't make our top 10 last year, but it sounds like basically it's still like pretty good, pretty good experience if maybe, uh, maybe not as far reaching as some of the bigger titles, the heavier hitters. So um, Square Enix did mention even before it hit a million that it like that the game well expects well surpassed their expectations. So maybe that means for whatever the next, I, I think it's, I think it's safe to say that there will be a new mana entry. Like there, it seems like it's done well enough and beyond expectations enough that they're going to have another entry. What if it's something brand new or another remake or how much budget they give it? I don't know, but we'll see. 
I have no idea what a brand new mana game looks like, to be honest. It's been forever. Like, when, when was the last new mana game? Uh, like, one of the DS ones? <laughs> probably. It's a long time. Because they had, they had the mobile version of the first game, which was ported to, like, Vita and elsewhere. Um, then they had the Secret of Mana remake, Trial of Mana remake. So it's, it's been a long time since there's been, like, a brand new game. Yeah, I have no idea what the hell it would look like at this point. Rise of Mana iOS 2014, Circle of Mana. Oh, yeah, Rise of Hero, Mana. Hero, Heroes of Mana, Nintendo DS 2007. Yeah, it's been a long time. No, they'll make a new Mana game with Platinum Games. Oh, yeah. We've got a new trailer for Black Myth Wukong. If you don't know what that is offhand, it is the uh, Chinese-developed game that first like made waves splash, uh, splash last year in uh, August, I believe. Let's see. Yes, August 2020 from Chinese developer Game Science, which basically looked like really high budget, super, you know, it almost looks like Dark Souls meets Journey to the West. Uh, So we got a new gameplay trailer for it earlier this week, and it still looks like really good, really creative. The the whole trailer is like gameplay with like the UI turned off, kind of like what they did for the Demon Souls marketing over at Sony. So it was really cool to see that this game is still progressing and wasn't just going to be like one of those games where they show it off and disappears for forever. It just—it looks really unique and different and cool, and it's got a like yeah. a kind of like a an art style that you don't really see in many other places. Didn't they say the? I, d- I don't know if I just saw this one in the comments, but didn't they say the release date is like looking like twenty twenty three at the moment? It's, yeah, it's one of those games where I'm not I'm not expecting it anytime soon. But if we can kind of get this drip feed of like uh, updates just throughout the next couple of years, I'm okay with that. Like yeah. better than it going dormant, I suppose. Well, maybe not better for the game, but better for people who are interested in the game. But it's just yeah, it's just cool, cool that it's, this game came out of nowhere. It looks really interesting, and it's coming across at least in the trailers as like really well made. Obviously, we'll have to judge for that in several years. But I don't know. It's it looks just... like a, I need a way more powerful computer to run this game. That's what it looks yes. like. Time um, to camp out yeah. uh, at Micro Center for the thirty ninety or whatever. Uh. <laughs> this, but this yeah this game looks stunning phenomenal visual you know and it's cool that's like it's it's like following this mythology like i, I love journey to the west stories you know it's a it's such a cool cool like endless story you know like it stands the test of time and yeah, you know just and having like a character like you know having a bow staff as the main weapon you know it's not a lot of, not a lot of games do that this shows like how uncultured I am, but I, I look at this and I'm like, man, I wish Goku still used a power pole. <laughs> you know, because obviously, because uh, Journey to the West. Uh, look, when Dragon Ball Fighters came out, I was like, I was like, I wish they would like release a Goku with a bow star. They got a GT Goku that everyone cried. Like, yeah, that, that is monkey's paw. If ever I heard one. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we got a new uh, like three minutes of footage, and it really is like it's not a lot of cinematics. It's pretty much, uh, aside from a few other little snippets, it's like all basically just gameplay footage after gameplay footage. It's really kind of cool. But yep, we've got that up on the website. Again, the title is Black Myth Wukong. And the last bit, this is something that I guess George will have to speak to. Uh, we got an RPG, Steven Universe Unleash the Light, is releasing for PlayStation 4, Xbox One. Nintendo Switch and Steam in just a couple days, February 19th. So, uh, George, what is this game? So, this one really came as a shock to me. Uh, they've been t- 
two Steve Universe games. Well, there's, there's been three Steve Universe games made over the past couple of years, and all of them have sort of been they're very simple, like Paper Mario esque RPGs, just told in the Steve Universe. Well, Steve Universe universe. Um, and then this latest one came out. I believe it was 2019, and it was just yep. on arcade. So I was like, yeah, no, I won't play that. Like, I I just don't vibe with phone games. I think we've talked about it before. Um, I've I've never been able to pay attention to them. Uh, but it looks like they're they're bringing it to consoles next week. Uh, and the reason this interests me so much is one, it's an RPG, so of course we'll probably talk about it. But Steve Universe is probably like second in my favorite things of all time. Like if we're saying Kingdom, Kingdom Hearts, Hearts. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is second to Kingdom Hearts and. I think I mentioned that every week. Like, I, I don't shut up about Kingdom Hearts. This is just fact. Uh, so, Steve Universe, I, I adore it, and I can like I can talk about it, and it's valid. Uh, and the last one they did that I got to play was, I think it was Save the Light, and that was released on consoles as well. And that was actually a lot of fun. It was really glitchy and quite simplistic, and you could kind of tell it was budget, but like it captured Steve Universe really well. Is, is uh, this uh, is this Unleash the Light a sequel to Save the Light? So after you saved it, now you unleash it? Now you unleash it, yeah. Uh, and it's also, I, I don't know, this won't make sense to you guys really, but it's a bridge between Steven Universe and Steven Universe Future, which was an epilogue series that was released last year. So it's like, it's canon story. Uh, it tells, it's it's specific, man, I'm going go to go into the woods of this here, but it's, a specific tale that they've been telling about light prisms that doesn't really have anything to do with the show. It has like the characters, it has the world and it is canon, but it's the, it's sort of like the finale of that. So it finishes off that story, but it then leads into steam vs. future, uh, which is a, which is ugh, such a good epilogue series. Always that uh, needle that you have to thread when it's like, yes, it's canon, but we can't make it like too impactful so that people who are only, you know, people who aren't gamers and want to watch the show aren't like lost when they transition yeah, from exactly. yeah. the one series to the other. Like, wait, what did I miss? Oh, I got to play this Steven Universe RPG now <laughs> or whatever. They're just, they're really, really fun little RPGs. Uh, and I never expect this to come to console because from watching the gameplay of it on phones it's very like it is even more simplistic in movement than the other games were i don't really think there's like a massive open world like there was in wait so uh, does it like so I'm, I'm go ahead sorry i'm I'm just super curious how it's gonna play i, I haven't really looked into that much uh, and i'm so excited to talk about it just i just hope it's good um i've heard good things about it from the limited sort of interaction i've had of it so well you'll have uh you'll have one day to play it ahead of next week's podcast oh i'm gonna marathon it all night yeah i want, I want you to show up next week like with a gallon of coffee and you like <laughs> <laughs> half asleep just half asleep yeah talking about steven universe unleash the light uh, yeah, always, always cool yeah always cool to see like these uh tie-ins for series and ips that have a, a big or passionate fan following uh, before like phone gaming became ubiquitous, but like when HD gaming was just around, like in the late aughts, it felt like there was like this period of time where all the licensed games kind of like went away for a bit. Mm. I don't know if that's me like rewriting history or just not. No, totally. And it's just it's just cool to see like we're at a place where that is sort of coming back. They've got the avenue with the uh, with the handheld, uh, whether they, whether it's a Switch game or a, or phone games that eventually getting ported. I mean, you know what happened to those games? They all they all went to mobile. 
That's yeah. that's well, yeah. So did this one. Like yeah. that, that's why this is so surprising. Yeah. I, I just like, uh, one of the one of the more recent like discoveries I made like a few days ago was like there's like a Tom and Jerry's mobile game that's a gotcha. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I want to see that discussed in our uh, in our Mobage channel here in our Discord. <laughs> I want to drop rates for the uh, SSS Jerry costume or whatever you call it. You can tell I I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, someone made this, and that, and I would not be surprised if like the publisher of that game is like, yeah, we're raking in millions on this Tom and <laughs> yeah. Jerry. Gotcha. Hell, dude. Anyways, unleash the light for Steven Universe slash Steven Future fans. Uh, already on, available on mobile, coming over to all the consoles and PC next week. And that covers it for this podcast. And we're at the three-hour mark, so uh, thank goodness. That's what we get for starting and <laughs> continuing with so many people here. But yeah, we'll, uh, we, have, we have a bunch to look forward to, especially Bravely Default 2 and Persona 5 Strikers. Yeah, just uh, big shout-outs to Colin once again. He had to leave our personal reasons uh, earlier, but... It was uh, a real delight for him to come through uh, with us for a bit and discuss his initial thoughts and impressions on Bravely Default 2. It's kind of interesting that both of those games ended up having, like, well, for Bravely Default 2, it's only had its preview embargo lifted, not its review embargo, et cetera. But sometimes these games you can't talk about until, like, the day of or after they release. And those are still both, like, over a week out or a week out at least. So not often that we have two games in a row that are like that with the uh, kind of the favorable discussion embargoes lifted or whatever you want to call it so we're looking ahead to those uh those of us that haven't had the opportunity to play them early the the, the weird one's going to be like when that near replicant comes out and then like if there's like an embargo of like what you can discuss on it, it's like oh no i'm not talking about that i'm talking about the original near yeah <laughs> it's like i'm not i'm not spoiling this game this game has been out for a decade what are you talking about <laughs> Or it's like uh, it's less less common these days, but like a game that's like localized. Like I'm not talking about East Nine before it's released. I'm talking about the Japanese version. Of East <laughs> well, I guess I guess you could have no. used that. You could have used that argument for Strikers, admittedly. True. Anyway, yeah, I'm talking about Trump provides scramble colon the Phantom. Yeah, I'm not spoiling anything. I know Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start wrapping this thing up. We've been here long enough. If you've made it to the end, thank you for staying. We're so glad to have people listening. And if you want. If you have any feelings about any things we've discussed, feel free to leave a comment. We do read those. Uh, you can go ahead and visit all the features that we talked about, including the Bravely Default to preview, the Persona Strikers review, or the feature about Labyrinth of Galleria, all up on our website. All the trailers that we talked about are all also there at rpgsite.net. We do have a Discord uh, where you can a Discord server that you can get to by hitting the link at the top of our homepage. You can go to the Mobits channel and talk about Tom and Jerry if you want. <laughs> Uh, we do have a YouTube channel at RPGSiteNet. We've had a few hiccups there in terms of uploading content, but we do have plans to get back to it. Uh, we also do have an Instagram RPG site, obviously our, our main Twitter page, at RPG site. Uh, and other than that, we will be back next week with the TetraCast, as we seemingly always do. So until then, take care, stay safe. We'll talk to you next time. And enjoy your chocolate. Bye, guys. On Earth alone. Enjoy. <laughs>